Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Kinsano, here's Judah Newby with the Bald Face Truth. Hey, what's good, everybody? Welcome in. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Judah Newby in for John Kinsano today and tomorrow. Stephen Vaughn and Sean McPherson in the house as well. Six weeks. Six weeks away. From the season opener for the Oregon Ducks, September 3rd against the Judge Bulldogs. Six weeks away from the Oregon State season opener, September 3rd versus the Boise State Broncos. Just six weeks away from big major college football descending on our state. And uh, this happens to me every year, every single friggin' year. JC goes off, uh, has a little quote-unquote vacation, but you know he's working hard with uh, Camp Exceptional this week. And shout-out to uh, the BFT Foundation and everybody helping out with that. And then myself, Peter Sampson, we get to waltz in here and uh, own the three hours of the BFT in JC's absence. And John will be back again next week. And next week is the ramp-up to one of my favorite days of the year, every year, which is Pac-12 Football Media Day. And this year is no exception because this flavor of Pac-12 Media Day is going to taste a lot different and probably a lot spicier than Pac-12 Media Days of the past. That is next Friday, the 29th of July. And we will have exclusive interviews here on the Bold Face Truth live from the City of Angels, live from Los Angeles, where USC will be present where UCLA will be present, where George K will be present, and John Cazzano himself will be there as well. And we will have a bunch of intriguing stuff coming out of L.A. for Media Day. That is a week from tomorrow. So myself and Samson, we get to uh, fill in for JC during this week each and every year. And then each and every year, I start to dust off the cobwebs of the college football part of my brain and the NFL part of my brain. And I, I can't help it. I get really, really excited. I get excited about the Ducks. I get excited about the Beavers. Normally, I get excited about the Seahawks, a little less so this year in the first year post-Russell Wilson. But uh, my enthusiasm starts to wax, and uh, and the appetite starts to get filled a little bit. And then, of course, we start to get into the dog days of August, and that all kind of It settles in, and the realism settles in that we're still four weeks away. We're still three weeks away from meaningful football being played in uh, in college in the NFL. But right now, I'm just living in it. I'm just soaking it up. Most of my days have been spent on YouTube watching clips from media days across the country. ACC media days going on. Uh, Mario Cristobal gave his first press conference at his first ACC media day earlier today. We'll reset some sound from that. ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips spoke earlier this week. The SEC media days have been fun. Jimbo, Saban, Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach. They've all been a lot of fun to uh, to listen to. And uh, the Big Ten media days, I believe, are going to be early next week. And then the Pac-12s are the, are the last to follow 
at the end of the week uh, down in L.A. But it's a, it's a great time of year because you start to remember who is playing where, like trying to f- follow all the quarterbacks going to do new teams and new programs, new locations, just makes you dizzy thinking about it. But uh, in this day and age with the transfer portal, like there's guys on the move everywhere, every single conference, Power Five, Group of Five, doesn't matter. I mean, there's like new faces literally everywhere, some of whom moved after spring football. So whoever you thought you, you knew was playing somewhere in the spring, uh, they're gone and, and playing somewhere else. And uh, I saw the NCAA approve some you know, new parameters for the uh, transfer portal, or at least the Division One Council approved new transfer portal rules with the NCAA that guys can transfer more than once if they want to, you know, and basically at any time. So it's open season. And when it comes to the transfer portal and uh, especially with the quarterbacks, man, there's guys everywhere. Like I forgot, you know, Texas A&M's quarterback from last year, uh, Zach Calzada, he was the backup last year, but then he had to play meaningful snaps because, you know, Hayes King, their starter, like broke his leg in the Colorado game. Well, now Calzada, he left, but he's staying in the SEC West, and now he's at Auburn. I was like, oh, who was Auburn's quarterback last year? Oh, yeah, Bo Nix. He's here at Oregon. Well, then who's going to play for Texas A&M this year? Well, Hayes King is back, and, oh, Max Johnson. Wait, I remember Max Johnson. Wasn't he the lefty from LSU? Yes. And so he goes from one SEC West program to another, and he'll be the guy. And I didn't know this. He's Brad Johnson's kid. The old, uh, you know, Tampa Bay Buccaneer quarterback that won a Super Bowl with John Gruden. So everybody's going everywhere. It's like the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's just swap some jerseys, swap some names, but they're the same college football players. And I convinced my my brain that Dylan Gabriel was playing for UCLA, but then I forgot that that actually didn't happen. (laughs) That was going to happen. I assumed it had happened. That's not going to happen anymore. Dylan Gabriel is... At Oklahoma, I believe, to play for Brent Venables and uh, DTR is still in the powder blue. So, you know, that's that's how it all lays out. You know, things are chaotic, but at the same time, they're a lot of fun to track. And honestly, that's my first major takeaway as we're six weeks away. This Saturday will be six weeks from Ducks Bulldogs uh, in Georgia, which is sold out, by the way, to the surprise of no one. But um, still an interesting note that still this far away from kickoff, you can't get a seat unless it's on the secondary market at this point for Oregon and Georgia. Um, but the fact that, you know, it's six weeks, it's like it's close. You can see it coming. And uh, if you're a fantasy football player, it's time to start to dust off your, your fantasy football teams, whether it's dynasty or otherwise. And um, so yesterday I ended up going to the Barnes and Noble in Bridgeport Village because, as you you guys know, Stephen Vaughn's in the house, Sean McPherson in the house as well. I was sick last week uh, to the to the novel coronavirus, uh, which, you know, is still difficult. It took me a couple of days to recover. Then I felt 95% fine, but still couldn't get a negative test for forever, and then finally did, so I was able to come back into work uh, yesterday. But... Uh, Man, when when you're sick like that, the, like the one thing you, you try to think about is, you know, what makes me feel a little bit better? And I was like, oh, yeah, a Phil Steele magazine would make me feel better right about now. So I got on the phone last week while I was down with with COVID and I called Barnes and Noble and I was like, hey, 
hey, can you look something up for me? I want to see if you guys have, you know, a book. I, I told them, there's a book that I'm interested in. I want to see if you have it in stock. And the lady on the phone on the other end was like, sure, yeah, whatever. Let me get to a computer and I'll look it up for you. She's like, okay, I met a computer. What? What do you need? And I was like, I was looking for Phil Steele's 2022 College Football Preview Magazine. Do you have it? And before I could finish it, she said, oh, you should have just told me that when you called. Yes, we have it. People have been coming in like crazy for it. And I'm like, yes, excellent. Thank you. No, it's not a book, but it might as well be. And uh, good to know that everybody's looking for it. They had it in stock. So yesterday I was able to go in there, pick one up, and of course they place those magazines all next to each other. So there's Phil Steele's magazine, then there's uh, Lindy's college football preview, and uh, there's Athlon, right? Those are kind of the big three. And I said, look, I've been good. You know, I've been sick. I'm feeling a little bit better now. I'm going to give myself a treat. So not only did I get Phil Steele's preview, but... I also pulled off a Lindy's preview and an Athlon Sports College football preview, and we're living large, baby. We are living large, and I uh, started to dip into Phil Steele's first, and so uh, still making my way through that, but refamiliarizing myself with the Ducks and the Beavs, the other Pac-12 stuff, and and honestly, I'm just, I'm trying to stay optimistic about college football. That's my main objective, trying to stay optimistic, because Lord knows there's enough going on in the sport of college football in particular, that is worth being concerned about, or at the very least, the uncertainty is unsettling. Especially if you're a Duck fan and if you're a Beaver fan, because the future of your conference is legitimately at large, and we're not sure what kind of resolution will will come, when it will come, and what it will look like. But in the meantime, we know that we've got two more college football seasons left with this conference intact, to enjoy. And that's what I'm trying to focus on right now is enjoy Pac-12 football while we got it. Because we got it this fall and we got it next fall. And who knows what's going to be after that. But while we got this Pac-12 conference, let's enjoy it. And let's talk about the guys that are playing. Let's talk about the matchups that are going to uh, take place on the field. And give me something that you're looking forward to. Give me one thing you're looking forward to this football season. Could be college football, could be the NFL. But for the sake of keeping things light, keeping things optimistic, we're six weeks away from major college football, technically earlier than that, if you're interested in in some, you know, B-level, C-level games that are played in, quote-unquote, week zero. I know there's like a Wyoming-Illinois game at uh, at the end of August before we get into Labor Day weekend. But for the most part, Labor Day weekend, commences major college football and then the following week after that the nfl gets going but give me one thing that you're looking forward to 503-417-7575 it could just be saturdays saturday mornings getting up and watching college game day if that's you it could be you know being able to uh kick back the lazy boy having a cold one watching the oregon ducks game could be uh doing the same thing or watching an oregon state beaver game maybe you're one of the beaver fans that actually gets to have a ticket for one of the games at Reeser Stadium this year with the uh, the limited capacity and seats being hard to come by. Maybe you're an NFL fan and you just your thing is kicking up on Sunday morning, 10 a.m., firing up the red zone, chilling out. You know, NFL is going to look different on your television this year too with Amazon Prime taking over Thursday Night Football. Uh, maybe you're a Justin Herbert fan 
And the one thing that gives you the most pleasure each and every weekend is watching Herbie light it up with the Bolts. Boy, that team's going to be fun again this year. But give me that one thing. 503-417-7575. One thing you're looking forward to this fall with football season. College football, NFL, or otherwise. We'll keep it light. We'll keep it moving. Uh, I'll get Steven and Sean's thoughts on it as well. And I've got plenty to share on my own here on the BFT. We'll also go through some win totals. Uh, Oregon Ducks, Oregon State Beaver win totals. They've been out for a while, but I saw John Cazano wrote something on it. Uh, in his newsletter today. Got some thoughts on that. I'll give you some players I'm excited to watch on the Ducks and the Beavs this year. We'll talk a little NFL. Kyler Murray got absolutely paid. What does that mean for Kyler? What does that mean for the Cardinals? Was that a good deal for the Cardinals? As an NFC West fan, I got some thoughts on that. Uh, Shaden Sharp will not need surgery to repair his minor labral tear. That is a encouraging sign for a Trailblazer fan, but uh, just how encouraging is it? What does that mean for him and his development? Uh, we'll dig into that a little bit. We'll get Steven's thoughts on that and Sean's thoughts on that. And uh, with these guys in the house, too, we'll talk a little sports betting. You know, We'll, we'll talk some futures. Uh, we'll talk about some things that you're looking forward to on that market, too, because, man, I think this is going to be the first football season where everything's on DraftKings for us, at least here in Oregon, because last year we still had the Oregon Lottery scoreboard, I think, for football season. We'll kick that around and see what the ramifications are on that. A lot to get to. Let's have some fun, huh? Six weeks away from major college football. Newbie in for Kazano. This is the Bald Face Truth. a beautiful day today such a nice day six weeks away from college football as well hard not to get excited taking your phone calls 503-417-7575 i'm asking you to give me one thing you're looking forward to this football season college nfl or otherwise uh one thing and frankly it could be more than one but let's just start there right let's keep it simple (laughs) <laughs> with one at a time. Let's go out to Carlton Wine Country. Grant is out in Carlton. Grant, what's one thing you're looking forward to this football season? Looking forward to week zero. Oh, uh, Nebraska playing Northwestern in Dublin. We're headed over to Dublin to watch the game. What? No way. You're going? We are going, yeah. Excited about it. How'd you pull that off? My son's on staff at Nebraska. And so uh, we try and get back to several games a year, and we decided this is one we couldn't miss. That is freaking great, Grant. That is great. All right. Uh, can I? What does your son do at Nebraska? I mean, you could be as specific as you're comfortable, but I'm curious. <laughs> He's the assistant director of video and technology. So his primary job is he takes all of the film and puts it into each coach's package, whether it's Coach Frost or down to a GA or position coach. But then they review with the uh, players. How long has he been doing that? Uh, one year. He graduated from Oregon State, did the same thing for Oregon State football. And when he graduated, got hired by Nebraska. Along the way, he did an internship in NFL Films and is with the Seahawks for a season as well. Dang, man. I feel like I got to talk to your son. Like that's, that's a great gig. Does he say anything about what it's like to work for Scott Frost? 
loves working for Scott Frost. In fact, Coach Frost is having a uh, staff party at his lake house this weekend, and uh, my son will be there. Uh, he had a similar Christmas party for the staff, and uh, he beat my son playing air hockey. So uh, my son really loves Coach Frost. Well, you, you can't beat the head coach in air hockey. You know, that's just not a smart career choice. So good on your son to, to let uh, Scott Frost win that one. But uh, that's great, Grant. Thanks so much for calling in. And, hey, safe travels out to Dublin for the August 27th Nebraska-Northwestern game, 9.30 a.m. West Coast on Fox. Grant, I'm, a, I'm just a little bit jealous, but uh, thanks for sharing that, man. We'll live vicariously through you. And make sure you call in week of and uh, the week after and give us a report on how that went. Yeah, will do. Thanks for everything you guys do. Yeah, man, absolutely. There is Grant in Carlton. Boy, that is freaking cool. Dublin to go see some college football at the end of August. Man, that is awesome. And uh, he's got a son working for Scott Frost. I got some Scott Frost takes. Maybe that'll come later in the show. Uh, let's go out to Nick in Portland. Nick's got something he's looking forward to this football season. What's up, Nick? Hey, how's it going? Hey. I'm looking for forward to my man, Trey Lance, starting week one. Uh, I feel like it's going to be really good, especially with everything that's happened with the offseason, everything that's surrounding him. I feel like for such a young kid, he's handling it very well. And he gets nothing but praise from anyone you ever talk to that's in or around surrounded North Dakota State. So I'm excited for that. You're a 49er fan? Yeah. And you're uh, you're optimistic about the Trey Lance situation? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know there's some 49er fans a little bit reserved because, you know, Trey got some run last year, and he looked like a rookie with limited college experience. But you're not concerned? I mean, yeah, did he struggle? Sure. But for, you know not getting as many reps and not even playing that much in, in college, his final senior year or what, whatever year he may have left, uh, I think he did pretty well. And he's only improved. He had a little slight wobble on his pass. He's, he's fixing that. He's, he understands the playbook. And I think he's got to go out there and show us what he got. I mean, I think it's time to move on from Jimmy. Jimmy did nothing but good for the organization. I think it's just it, – he, I think Kyle's game plan is limited and he plans it around Jimmy. It happens to make it work, but. Do you think Jimmy finds a new landing spot before week one? I have no idea on that one. Yeah, and if anybody can guess that one, they should uh, they should start a betting pool <laughs> to, uh, to see where he's going to eventually wind up because that's that's a good that's a good one. I have no idea. Nick, thanks for the phone call, man. Have a great football that's season. Good. Yeah, there he is. Thanks. That's Nick in Portland. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. If you want to join the conversation. Uh, Stephen Vaughn, Sean McPherson with me here on the BFT Nubian for Kinzano. Stephen, go to you first. One thing you're looking forward to this football season. So the thing I'm really looking forward to, you know, as as not having a team really, I'm excited to see how fans react to the villains that are USC and UCLA. Mm. Uh, especially in the Pac-12, you know, those stadiums. When USC travels to Utah, I'm excited to see how those fans really treat uh, USC. UCLA travels to uh, UCLA, I'm sorry, they travel to Oregon. I want to see how they react to U, uh, UCLA as well. Like, I want to see if it's as, you know, as mean as I think it could be, right? Because they are kind of wrecking the Pac-12 conference. They've really put a hindrance and all this stuff. So I want to see how the fans react to that. Just, I'm just excited about college football in general. So for me, it's just that that is so fascinating how USC and UCLA just pick it up out of nowhere. They're going to the Big Ten. 
How are the fans going to react to that? I really wish USC was on Oregon's schedule this year. Yeah, I would have loved that. I would have loved it because, I mean, UCLA, yeah, they're kind of just riding the coattails of USC, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. kind of what they're doing. So I think USC is going to get the most hate out of all of it. So I would have loved to see USC and Eugene this year. And that, that's what it feels like, you know, their primary villain, number one. Frankly, and I will say that USC, USC is yeah USC September twenty fourth travels to Corvallis yeah I know it's going to be a smaller crowd because like you said the renovations but you know if if I know anything like Corvallis they're still going to get loud it's still going to not be happy about what USC is doing yeah I'm looking forward to that game early season game uh, conference game early season conference game it was in a similar spot on the calendar last year and obviously USC. Uh, had a much different vibe last year than they do this year. But the Beavers went down there and kicked their ass. That's the thing. Are the Pac-12 schools ready to give USC a nice ass-kicking these next two years on their way out to the Big Ten? Or, or, and I know Pac-12 fans don't want to hear this, is it going to be the other way? Yeah, it's hard to say because... (laughs) Is Luke and Riley going to set this thing on fire? And look at the talent that they have. I know people want to... You know, poo-poo USC year one here. Like, JC is all saying, hey, nine and a half wins. It's too rich for my taste. And look, say which one about the win totals. I get it. That's a different conversation. But you can't deny the sheer amount of skill that is on that offense in particular. Defensively, we'll see. But offensively, I mean, you Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, Mario Williams at wide receiver. And honestly, I think Travis Dye is going to have a freaking huge year. Yeah, I think he's going to have a freaking huge year in that offense. And uh, I at the Westgate Superbook, they are the team with the most bet money on them. And they've yeah. gone up to the sixth best odds in all of the nation. So it's going to be interesting to see how how good they do because we've never seen a team like this. We've seen it in basketball where a lot of transfers come in. But we've never seen it in football where so many transfer guys come in. Can they you know, gel and have a good chemistry from day one? It remains to be seen. And to that point, maybe the Beavers are getting them. At the right time, given that it's a little early. Stanford, too. Stanford's Stanford as well. Two. That's always an early season game. Yeah, week, you know? two, week two, USC starts out with Rice at home, then they go at Stanford. It's a sneaky one. And Travis Travis Dye is not the only former Pac-12 back, you know, or back from a former Pac-12 school with USC. Austin Jones, you know, former Stanford running back, he transferred to USC. So he'll be going up against his former program week two as well. Shawnee Mack, Sean McPherson in the house as well. Sean, one thing you're looking forward to this football season. I can't hear you, brother. Where you at? You hear me now? What's up? I'm here. I'm here. I can see right. you, and you look great. Here Couldn't we hear are. you until you, just you now. You switched headsets on me. He's been oh, on headsets. Oh, man. Headsets. My Shawnee, headset man. My bad. Man. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm... You mentioned red zone. That's the obvious one, right? I just can't wait on Sundays. It's usually my day off from work just to, to sit down and do absolutely nothing that day. Just 10 to 8 <laughs> o'clock, 10 a.m. to 8 o'clock, just watching football. And then when we have the London games, it's it's more of a 12-hour affair. Speaking of the NFL, though, I'm going to say it, and this is a hot take. Miami Dolphins are Super Bowl contenders. <laughs> the Miami Dolphins are Super Bowl contenders. They're not getting talked about enough. Okay. And last year they win nine games. They had an awesome defense. They're running it back defensively. They bring in a new head coach, Mike McDaniels, who's apparently an offensive genius. They bring in Tyreek Hill, and they have Jalen Waddle coming back for year two, which I don't think he gets talked about enough as a young receiver. They bring in all sorts of other fun talent on the offensive side of the ball, and I think that uh, I think that they're ready to compete in the AFC. They have the Bills in their division, not taking the Patriots seriously. The Jets have a nice young core, but I'm not taking them seriously yet. 
And I think that they're going to – they're not the favorites in the AFC, obviously, but I think they're a fun long shot, and I'm really excited for relevant Miami Dolphins football, which I haven't really received in my entire lifetime. Can we really take Tua seriously, though? That's the question. Tua's slept on. Tua, people like to poo-poo Tua after two seasons. He's very injury-prone, right? But the Dolphins, people don't talk about the fact that the Dolphins went on a huge win streak when he got healthy last year. And I think he's ready to make a jump this year now that he has the proper weapons. But there is a world in which I'm miserable because Tua just makes Tyreek Hill miserable and just doesn't use the toys that he has at his disposal at all. There's a world in which the Dolphins... They, they have to be fun at least, right? You know, win or lose, they have to be at least be fun. If they're not fun with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, then uh, that's it for Tua, and it's going to be a rough season. But I'm, I'm very excited about the Miami Dolphins this year. Remind the people how Sean McPherson, Tualatin native, Oregon native, became a Miami Dolphins fan. Yeah, yeah my, uh, my dad was born in Miami. So when he was born in Miami, uh, the Heat weren't around or the Marlins. It was, it was the Dolphins, right? And so when he was... Growing up, it was the Dan Marino and Don Shula and all sorts of other legends, and so he was. Maybe he's listening to this right now. It's uh, he kind of he passed it on to uh, to his sons to be big Dolphins fans. And I never really caught on when I was little. I was kind of a bandwagon Seahawks fan and kind of their Super Bowl runs. And then when I got older, I was like, yeah, this is important to me that I you know um, kind of acknowledge my dad's wishes for me to be a Dolphins fan. And hmm. now I feel like the stock. I bought low a little bit a couple of years ago, but the stock's rising. So. <laughs> yeah. And that's the key. You, you, did, gonna, you did buy low. That's true. If I you're going to jump onto a team, you got to do it at their lowest, right? Yeah. You can't Although, do it at the top. Like, Great point. They passed on Justin Herbert, which I still I still sometimes visit the toilet and puke because uh, they, they didn't take Justin <laughs> Herbert at number five. But uh, I'm hoping two was formidable, and it was it was a good day when they, when they traded for Tyreek Hill this year. I think he's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, bonus points. I know you're a Dolphins fan. What's the name of their defensive coordinator? Oh, man, you got me. Uh, you might have gotten me with that yeah, one. Yeah, that's kind of my point, right? Right. Josh Boyer yeah. is the name of the uh, defensive coordinator. Good defense. Watch out for Javon Holland this year. Yeah, he, uh, he might be a star in this league. He is going to be a, a star, but to me, it's a problem. The Brian Flores thing's a problem. You know, the fact that he he left. I was so high he got on. Fired on uh javon holland right yeah he he got fired but obviously there was you know some of his own volition with uh stephen ross the fact that you know i was so high on javon holland going there as a second round pick if i remember right because of brian flores that guy knows how to coach defense with the best of them so with him gone i mean yes they've got talent on that side of the ball um but at the same time, I'm not sure if I can take the Miami Dolphins as Super Bowl contenders seriously, but I am here for the spicy takes, huh? It's hot outside. It's July 21st. We should have uh, some fun with, with spicy takes. And frankly, there's a good adjacent topic to that where Sean was talking about great Miami Dolphins teams of the past. And uh, to me, I saw the New York Giants released some uniforms on Twitter, you know, a couple days ago maybe. And they're going to kind of harken back to the 80s, you know, early 90s uh, versions. And somewhere Bill Belichick got like really excited when he saw that. He got visions of LT and everybody suiting up at the old Meadowlands. They look great. I love those old Giants uniforms. I love the Giants spelled out, you know, on the helmet as well. To me, that's like the kick-ass Giants uniform right there. 
But not far behind that is the teal Miami Dolphin jerseys. Mm. And like, and when they were good, like I'm thinking Jason Taylor and uh, Zach Thomas defenses, like in primetime games, you know, you get that teal under the lights like that. And man, that's a really good looking uniform too. We'll talk about that. We'll kick that around later in the show as well. Some of your best, uh, best uniforms that you like retro current or otherwise because i'm all about that too uh one more phone call before the break let's head out to the couve sean is in vancouver what's up sean yeah so uh number one the panthers are the new hotness with their color rush stuff but the um uh i'm looking forward to new are the familiar voices in new places all these announcers and color analysts moved around their new New areas, you know, Monday Night Football is now Joe Buck and, and Troy Aikman. You know, uh, um, Amazon's going to have their thing going on. Uh, it looks like Sunday Night Football is going to be a little different. It, it's it's going to be fun to, to see the mix-up, the, the, the feel that, or to watch that and see how they everything changes. You're look so you're looking forward to that part of it. I, I I've got so many thoughts on TV broadcasting of of NFL football, but. That is interesting to me, Sean. Which of those three, whether it's Amazon Thursday, NBC Sunday Night Football, now with Tarico, or Buck Aikman on Monday Night Football, which of those three would you say you're most looking forward to this fall? Probably uh, Buck and Aikman. Um, hmm. I know people give Joe Buck a hard time, but he is usually good at his job, and Troy Aikman is very good at his job. Huh. Um I've always been a Sunday night football fan. I, I, I enjoy Sunday night football probably more than all the rest of the games. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's nice. To, it's just nice. Yeah. Mix it up. Get yeah. new people in there. Let's hear different voices, different takes, different ways of saying it. Yeah, that's a great point, Sean. Um, 503-417-7575, one thing you're looking forward to this football season. So I spent a lot of time thinking about this because – in case you haven't been paying attention or you've been living under a rock the last month or so, turns out television is a big freaking deal in the sports world, especially in college football, but obviously the NFL. And you look at some of the numbers being signed for in the NBA, that gets tied back to the salary cap, which is infused by these mega TV deals that the NBA gets to sign and, and things like that. Television, media rights. It's a big, big deal. It's easy for your eyes to glaze over a little bit when you get into the weeds with some of this stuff. But to me, there's there's media rights. That's one world. And then there's what Sean in Vancouver's talking about. There's the actual user experience. You're sitting down in your living room on your screen of preference watching a game. And for the last 15 years or so, we've gotten accustomed to a certain rhythm. You know, Thursday night football is the first game of the week. Yeah, it's it's good sometimes, most of the time. It's a little sloppy, a little hard to watch, but guess what? It's football, and some guys will get injured along the way, and we'll have a couple of shows a year where we say, yeah, is it too you know, demanding on the players physically, too tired to turn around? You know? <clears throat> but the games were either on the NFL network, just kind of buried beneath the sand, or in the last few years, obviously, Joe and Troy have been involved with the Fox broadcasts on these Thursday games. And sometimes Jim and Tony would come in and do a Thursday game on CBS. And then, of course, we had the pandemic year where we were playing games every day of the week, Tuesday games. We had a Tuesday game last year, Seahawks-Rams, that Joe and Troy called. So, you know, we haven't really been in that regular cycle for a while. But, you know, Sean brought up a good point. Sunday night has been the beacon for a couple of reasons. One, Alan, Chris, there's a comfort there. 
Those guys are in, in control. There's a certain expectation with what they bring. They've got great rapport. But frankly, it's because they get the best game of the week. You know, the NFL and NBC, they make sure that, you know, the the games in the second half of the year are all flex-worthy. So you can always flex to the best game of the week once you're in November and December to be the Sunday night game. Monday night football got screwed. So it was, while it was a really, I thought Monday night football was a good product with Tarico and Gruden. And when Tarico left for NBC and Sean McDonough came in, it was rough. It was rough. Gruden and McDonough did not get along that well. Chucky goes back into coaching. We all know what happened to him since then. And it's been, you know, Levy, Greasy, Riddick. It's been solid, but it's nothing to get excited about. Not to mention the best games of the week aren't on Monday Night Football like they were back in the day. Then you get Thursday Night Football, and we all kind of forget about it. But now Thursday Night Football is going to get some good stuff. And they got Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet on on Amazon Prime. Myth. I'm interested to see what kind of product that looks and feels like. Well, you dude, know? I want to know what you think about the Manning cast, right? Because that right, was kind of yeah. the big thing last year. Is some of the games weren't great on Monday Night Football, but we watched them because the Mannings were interviewing people, and it was a lot more entertaining. Now they bring in Buck and Aikman for Monday Night Football. Does that take away from the Manning cast at all? Yeah, it does a little bit for me it's because part part of the. Uh, Part of the allure of the Manning cast is because I didn't feel like I was missing out on right. the game broadcast. Right, right. You know, like week two, I think they had Lions Packers in Lambeau. Um, Jared Goff, you know, it's like, okay, this is going to be at best the Lions compete for a backdoor cover of like 14 and a half or something silly. But I was like, all right, this is going to be a Manning cast game for me. And frankly, they got great guests. Yeah, you get Pat but McAfee on there. I'm going to watch that. You got McAfee. You know, Rodgers came on. Marshawn came on. Yeah. That was freaking great. Um, but now there's two things going on. One, what you mentioned, there's a little bit more authority in the play-by-play and color chair now with Buck and Aikman. Two, I think the games are going to get a little bit better because of that, not only this year, but in future years. Goodell is going to be like, okay, you know, Monday Night Football is an asset again. Uh, let's steer some tasty matchups uh, yonder. Uh, and then thirdly, the novelty of the Manicast is worn off just by a little bit because now we know what it is. We we know what the expectation is, and there's not as much of a, oh, I wonder what's going to happen this week type of deal. We kind of know what's going to happen this week with, with Peyton and Eli. They're going to have fun. It's still going to be a good product, but that novelty, that intrigue, that shine is worn off just enough to where – I think there's going to be that return of audience back to ESPN Maine for Monday Night Football. Frankly, ESPN's probably going to be fine with that because they don't. ESPN does not have the autonomy they won over the Manicast. That's Omaha Productions. Right. That's Peyton's thing. It just so happens to be on ESPN too, and everything is done at Peyton's convenience because he doesn't want to leave the house, which is fine. More power to him. If you can do a broadcast and get paid for it, not have to leave your house. Do do that, my friend. So both things will coexist, Stephen, but I think you're right. I think the shine of the Manning cast has worn off just a bit, but I'll still check it out. And, yeah, and they still got good guests on from, you know, from a very regular uh, standpoint. So there will be good YouTube moments and things like that. Because if it's a big game, I want to hear the I want to hear the announcers get into the game. I don't want to hear the interviews, right? And well, so I think now that you have— Seahawks-Broncos week one, you're— you got to watch Joe and Troy's right. call. You got to, yeah. for a variety of reasons. Exactly. Now that Buck and Aikman are there, like, I'm one, it will turn into them rather yeah. than, you know, what it was before with Levy. 503-417-7575. Give me one thing you're looking forward to this football season. Just went heavy because I got fired up about TV broadcasting in the world of sports. 
Won't be the only time that happens. Uh, but when we come back, uh, we'll talk a little NBA. The Shane Sharp news came out yesterday. I'm sure Peter touched on it a little bit, but I'll bring it back up with Stephen and Sean here. What does that mean for him and for the Trailblazers as we get a little bit closer to uh, September camp? So it's still a ways away, a couple of months out, but good time to to revisit that. Uh, we'll also talk Kyler Murray's extension, what that means for him and the Cardinals in the quarterback market, and uh, keep talking a little college football. Six weeks out from the Ducks-Bulldogs season opener in Atlanta. Newbie and for Kazano on the Bold Face Truth. Barkley might be the latest Big Apple to head over to Live Golf. Charles had an interview with the New York Post saying that he uh, he has met with Greg Norman and said, hey, I might be listening for an offer from Live Golf. It's David Faraday of NBC, he already left NBC, which makes a lot of sense because... And I'm a golf guy. I love uh, I love golf, especially the majors. Um, so I was all about the Open Championship last weekend. And uh, <clears throat> as a Rory fan, came away a little disappointed after Sunday. But you know, Cam Smith, great job, dude. I mean, putter was on fire. You shoot you shoot two sixty fours in a major, you're probably going to win. Uh, good on him for doing that. Going eight under in the final round, steal that one from Rory. Uh, tough. Hopefully Rory can get another major back in his pocket, but that was the one, man. That was the one. But David Faraday, you know, he he called some of those holes, and, you know, he you could tell that there was a little bit of, like, he was steering into the skid a little bit. Like, he was giving some love to the live guys. He was like, Dustin Johnson, you know, he could actually win this thing. Taylor Gooch, man, this guy, he could actually play. He could sit, sing it. And I'm like, ah. all the other NB, uh, NBC guys are kind of not even mentioning the live tour, you know? It's like the elephant in the room. Uh, then it came out on Monday that Faraday is going to live. And I'm like, you know what? That checks out. Now Chuck could be the next. But Chuck is saying that, you know, he's not sure if he can still do his TNT job and also go to live. Would you guys be annoyed if Charles Barkley went to live to be a live broadcaster and stopped doing inside the NBA? Only if he if he had to stop doing inside the NBA, yes. I understand 100% if he goes to the Live Golf Tour to get the money and be a part of it because, you know, he Charles Barkley is one of those guys that is not going to be afraid to say what's on his mind and say exactly what he thinks. So I don't think he cares what people think about him, um, but he is such a good analyst on Inside the NBA, and it makes that show so watchable where if they replace it with anybody else, I don't feel like I have the need to watch it, but I will stay up late and I will watch a terrible basketball game just so I can see Barkley and Kenny Smith and Shaq and uh, EJ talk on Inside the NBA because it is so entertaining and so good. So, yeah, I would be upset if he had to leave those spots. Like, I, I would not be happy about it. Yeah, I'm not sure there's a better show in sports media than Inside the NBA. After NBA regular season games, after, uh, you know, postseason games, before games, just what those four guys have going is is so special. And I know the end is near. 
they have said the end is near, especially Charles Barkley. The end is near. You know, like it they're, so they're going to. I know they're going to break it up soon. So I feel like, like we need to put that on a billboard. <laughs> Get yeah. your ish together, humanity. I'm just the so, end is near. Exactly for yeah. inside the NBA. <laughs> it would be, um, you know, Charles Barkley has to do what's best for him, and you know the money is probably so great and uh and live that you know you have to you have to do what's best for you. But at the same time, it would it would definitely sting losing that group because let's be honest if they lose just one of those guys the whole thing's ruined you know mm-hmm. if if even if uh if ernie decided to go somewhere else if if kenny decided to go somewhere else that whole thing i, I think is at least partially fractured so well it, it which of those guys could it survive without Shaq? uh really? I think, you think Shaq? yeah they'd done it before without Shaq. and it was kenny and i Ernie and mm-hmm. Charles Brown. i think ernie well, does, I they think did ernie... it for like a game here and there or like an no, extended run like when Shaq played it was just those three. Mm. I think. Oh Ernie, well, yeah, but I mean, I feel like well, I feel like it's a different show now. It is, but you I know, feel like they, it wasn't as good of a show back then it, with, without him. It wasn't, but I would say I think Ernie does such a good job of bringing them back in. It's so it would be so hard to deal with those type of egos as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I would say it's Shaq or Kenny. You can't, you can't lose Chuck or EJ. I think I, the show would go real downhill. I think it's Ernie just because his position is the most dispensable. Just the guy that kind of moderates it and kind of steers the ship a little bit. Ernie's amazing, and he gets along with those guys and has great chemistry with those guys, but I feel like his position, he's not really the personality. He's kind of just the moderator. You you really can't have a personality... That's, right. you know, and he has enough personality yeah. to him to he's where really like, good he at adds kind to of, it. Yeah, he's but really... sometimes what they bring in Matt Weiner or something like that, you know, yeah. who does a lot of NBA TV. If EJ is doing like playoff baseball, which he's actually okay at playoff baseball too, it's kind of fun uh, for for TBS. But you're right, yeah. There's EJ, Kenny to me, like he's got his moments, mm. but to me, he's he's the weak link. Yeah, in that crew. Like I, if it was just Chuck, Shaq, Ernie, and you know. I don't know. Obviously, you know, they'd put Draymond or, I don't know, Steve Smith or Grant Hill or somebody in that seat and it wasn't Kenny. Like, I would probably still enjoy it and still watch. But that's the thing with Chuck is to your point, Sean, is like this guy reportedly eight-figure salary. Hard to say no to that. Like, think about that. I mean, we're talking at least 10 mil. He's just, he's not a golf guy. guy. He's not, he's a basketball player, right? He's he's, awful at golf. He's a huge golf um, guy in the sense that you, might you know, like he's, it. he's been tied to the game of golf for a long time. Like, he always played. He used to be good, right? And then he lost his swing and hasn't been good. But okay. he's still an entertaining factor in the game of golf. He has been for for a long time. And frankly, I'm hearing that he's actually pretty good again. Like, I, I hear that he's got his swing back. But even with that, that's kind of my question is, do you think Live Golf becomes more relevant with Charles Barkley being a broadcaster for them? At the end of the day, they're still playing a handful of crap-ass tournaments on YouTube. And I'm not going to go watch that with Charles Barkley there or not. It does nothing for me. He would go for the money. His relevance, I think, would take a major hit. I agree with you. I think for me, it would be like the first tournament I would want to watch just a little bit just to see if he says anything. But then after that... The novelty wears off, and I don't really care what Charles Barkley has to say if he's going to talk about golfers and what he really thinks about it, because I, I just wouldn't respect his opinion on golf. No, money doesn't mean quality, you know. I, I and I feel like you have to kind of naturally build these these new leagues or you know any any business, and just because if you pour a bunch of money into it doesn't mean that it's going to be good and that's my opinion with that yeah yeah it's i i don't think it would be the right career move for charles outside of monetary reasons um but could you not just copy and paste that sentence with all the guys that are playing in the thing 
Phil, Brooks, Bryson, Gooch. How does this make any career relevance sense for them? Like, I don't, I don't see how it does, aside from the Boku of dollars that they're going to get. So that's really what it continues to come down to. But still fascinating to see the strategy that Greg Norman is trying to employ to finally take down his nemesis, the PGA Tour. All right, we'll go away and come back. Big Splash coming up next on the BFT. Coming up in hour two, we'll go through some of the schedules for Oregon State and Oregon, respectively to their win total numbers. And I basically broke down three categories, which is pretty typical. Should win, probably lose, and toss up. And kind of use that to frame up what we can expect from the Ducks and Beavs this year. Oregon fascinates me this year. For a few reasons, and uh, we'll dig into that in hour number two. But first, let's get splashy. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Kyler Murray gets paid. The Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray have a five-year extension Worth $230 million. Deal makes him one of the NFL's highest paid quarterbacks. Ties him to Arizona through the 2028 season. $160 million guaranteed. He will make $105 million fully guaranteed upon signing the deal. Brings his average annual value to $46.1 million. Second highest in the National Football League, only behind Aaron Rodgers, who's a touch over $50 million, and uh, a little over one Deshaun Watson at $46 million. Oh, boy. And Patrick Mahomes at $45 million per year. So good for Kyler getting paid. Good for the Cardinals to have a long-term answer at quarterback at a certain point. That means something. I still got my questions about Kyler Murray winning big. Talk more about that coming up in hour two as well on the BFT. Odds in this year. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald faced truth. We'll go through some schedules for the Ducks and Beefs here in a moment. I was just on Twitter, though, during the break and. Came across something kind of kind of funny, kind of interesting. Uh, one of the parents of uh, Jackson Powers Johnson, who plays on the Oregon football team. I know his dad's, you know, often on Twitter. And this is his mom on Twitter as well. And she says something interesting here. And Sean, I know uh, you're fresh off the scene in, uh, in Eugene. I saw this tweet, actually. 18 months ago. So... I think her name is Jen, but she is uh, she is the Jet Set Jen at J Powers J. So this is Jackson Powers Johnson's mom. She says, "Dear Oregon football student section, we play BYU this year, as is the custom. At some point during the game, 
you may be tempted to chant, quote, F, U, Cougars, and or Mormons, etc. If you could please avoid this temptation, that would be great. My deeply religious parents are coming to the game to cheer on the Ducks. I want them to only have the best impression of our amazing organization. I know it's a lot to ask, so your consideration is appreciated. XOXO Jen. Hashtag SCODUCKS. So I actually have to plead some ignorance here. Um, as someone that has not attended a lot of duck games in the student section, because I was never an Oregon student, I've only gone to duck games at different parts of the stadium. And of course, the majority of them being in the press box, but is the chant F U Cougars and or Mormons a thing? It's going to happen. I mean, like, like, I, I, like this thing. is me being ignorant. Is that a reference to something I or mean, is that like something that people say? Uh, I don't know because they haven't played BYU, but, like, any opponent that comes to town, like, and I had friends that were, like, the leaders of the pit crew, so I can definitely talk about this. Um, yeah, any 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 team that comes to town, they are going to do some digging, and they are going to try to troll and just try to throw off the other team, you know, because they love their ducks. And uh, I think when BYU comes to town, I, I think the timing of this tweet could have been better. You know, tweet this out during game week, right, because – Right now it's July 21st, and they're going to play BYU in almost uh, exactly two months. Um, Are so, students going to be there for this one? Yeah, I know, you know it's that'll, week three, right? Yeah, that'll happen right before school. I, I bet it'll be packed. You know, okay. I, I, I bet you that's right around move-in day. But I, I can attest to you that I've been in the student section for football, basketball games, and um, you know, students are students, right? And they're gonna they're gonna say they're gonna say things to throw off the other team. They're gonna try to you know support their team, but they do that and kind of. I don't want to say a negative light. Of course, this would be negative. What she's um, saying is going to happen here. But, uh, you know, trash talk is is going to happen. And when they play BYU, that's going to be a very big game. And the obvious dig on BYU is everyone has the same religion at BYU. So uh, I, I, that's going to be that's going to be thrown around. I'm not sure that tweet that tweet's going to do absolutely nothing. You know, it would have been it would have accomplished more if she tweeted that during game week brought some attention but she's tweeting it two months prior and uh yeah i'm not sure that's gonna accomplish much students are gonna be students i, I don't know i i applaud it like you know use your use your twitter influence the uh, the best you can if needed i just laugh at uh you know whatever you're trying to tell a, a student section on campus to uh hey if you if you could not curse this time i'd really appreciate it because my parents are coming to town Jackson Powers Johnson's grandparents are coming to town for this game. Let's let's try not to say Effie. Oh, they're deep re, deeply religious, by the way. Let's try. And by the way, I'm saying I'm imagining if she says F U Cougars and or Mormons, they're not saying F. They're actually saying the word. I'm imagining. Well, a quick Google, is that right? A quick Google Probably. search here. Uh, USC apparently did the F the Mormons chant last year. I mean, it's Oh, USC students. did it? Yes, and they had to apologize. It was all over uh, TikTok and Twitter, according to uh, Google. Oh. So I guess it's a thing now. Uh, yeah, F mean, the Mormons is a, is a thing thanks to uh, USC. Thanks to Villains USC. Again. God, I hate the Trojans. Hate them even more now. These are, this, is every, this is every college student. I mean, like, nasty things are going to be said at any student section at a large university. It's not just Oregon, but yeah, I just think this is yeah, but this what, doesn't accomplish about anything. This, this is going to happen. There's there's one-off things like ah, oh, f you, you know, whatever. A collective chant that includes you know 
the F word directed at not even a player, which is bad enough, but a whole group of, you know, people. Yeah, it's not even the team. It's it's a whole group of people that aren't even affiliated with the game. Yeah. You know, like I understand like students being student, like it's going to happen, but it does not mean you shouldn't ask them not to. Like I actually I'm on her side on this. Yeah, I think I think well, it's totally fine to ask. Game week, do well, it, do, do it, it when, again, do it again. You know, we're, we're talking about week. it now. But guess what? Eight weeks out. Guess what? Nine there are weeks gonna be, out. There are going to be large amounts of alcohol consumed on game day. So even if a student wakes up that day and says, "All right, I am not going to talk trash <laughs> to BYU," and then they're going to go ahead and drink a four loco, and then the next thing you know, the tweet is forgotten, and then uh, students are going to. Uh, Students are going to be yelling at BYU. BYU is an easy target. Come on now. I mean, for better or worse, like, you know, I, I'm not one to try to make fun of anyone's religion. Like, keep keep that separate. But like, BYU is an easy <laughs> target when you're when you're trying to when you're trying to get some like get some dirt on a team or a player. Like, BYU is kind of an easy one. It's just like, yeah, we're going to make fun of their religion. D- yeah, but now you can make fun of Zach Wilson going after moms. That one's funny just, too. Just, yeah, yeah. You know, go to that one. Frankly, talk about moms, and and that's so much better for Cougars. Talk about Cougars. Cougars. The worst. Now like, it makes sense why yeah. Zach Wilson went there. He's probably not Mormon after all. Yeah, he's, he's like, oh, this place has Cougars. He's like Cougars. Yeah. It's either that or Houston. Honestly, and I'd rather play at BYU. <laughs> the student section trash talk is honestly worse at basketball games because basketball games are more intimate. Yeah. And so the players can legit. You know, football games are so much noise. I doubt whatever is said in the football student section is going to be heard by the players. Maybe, but basketball games like. People are just as nasty in the student section, except you're not that far from them and you're in an indoor space. And I've definitely seen, you know, players look back at students. Like I watched Alonzo Trier, my freshman year of college, literally getting a, a shouting match. Alonzo Trier of Arizona, you know, right. he's a star player shouting match with the student section because the student section was coming after him. And he literally looked back at the student section and told them, who who knows what he told them, but uh, yeah, basketball it's even worse. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's probably why you know there's there's frankly better basketball environments than football environments. I think um, when it comes to student atmosphere in a lot of places across the country, that uh, you know I don't know if most people would agree with that or not, but I don't know. I feel like Autzen Autzen's one of those experiences where you know the student the, the student section matters there, but. Autzen's going to be a good experience for you from a football environment standpoint, with or without the student section, I think. And like, that's not the heartbeat of the stadium. I think Duck fans do a great job making that a wonderful, special environment. It's not like you go to Autzen because, oh, man, this student section is going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. But that being said, you know, with the libations uh, being available uh, a little bit more easily, I think, now in, in stadiums like Autzen, yeah, I don't know. A request to to not to use expletives toward the Mormons um, is is probably going to fall on deaf ears with the students in particular. Do you think it's going to be worse because of this now? Uh, Do you think the students oh, are going to try to stick it to it worse, or are they going to show a little bit of respect saw, and try to dial it back? I saw comments on that tweet saying like you you just woke them up, you just poked the bear. Uh, they're going to forget. Yeah, I feel like college students, they do have some of those tendencies to like, you know, just like, oh, you told me not to do this. I'm going to do it now. Uh, no, I think I think it's going to happen no matter what, whether there's a warning or not. And at the end of the day, like the only way it doesn't happen is if you have Michael Schill sitting in the student section, like literally like threatening real stuff like, hey, I will suspend <laughs> you if I hear you say this. And that doesn't happen. So students are going to be students, especially once they get those six shots of vodka in them. Oh, boy.
that's uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Frankly, though, that's going to be a great football game, too. 12.30, it'll be a Saturday afternoon. I think it's going to be on Fox. Yes, it will be on Fox. Kalani Sataki making his return. Um, I've actually got a, a buddy of mine from college is on the coaching staff at BYU. Um, I know I'm looking forward to seeing him. Looking forward to seeing that that program and uh, the post-Zach Wilson era. And that's, that's going to be a tough, tough game. That's one of my toss-up games for Oregon this year. Um, it's going to be popping at Autzen this year. Like they host Utah, they host Stanford, they host BYU. Like last year, it was pretty dry at Autzen. They easily swept. Uh, they easily went undefeated at home. This year, it's it's good. Yeah, it's going to be good. Do they have five conference home games? Oregon this year. I'm bringing Let's up see. their schedule. Yeah, right I got here. their schedule right here. Cardinal Chip is coming to town. Kalen DeBoer Ooh. and Utah. So I guess four conference Washington home awesome. games yeah so you got Washington Utah those are both November home games consecutive weeks that'll probably determine a lot about your season of course chip on October 22nd and Stanford on October 1st and road conference games at Washington State and at Arizona at Cal at Colorado at Oregon State so your tough games are at home if you're right. Dan Lanning yeah, and, besides uh, Georgia, of course. And Georgia, which is not neutral. So. And then there's Come always on. that trap game, like knowing Oregon. Maybe this was a Mario Cristobal thing, but it happened with Willie Taggart, too. They'll go to Boulder and struggle, or they'll go to Berkeley and lay an egg. Like, they do that once a year. Um, like, they did that against uh, Arizona State a couple of years back. Um, it was last really year. the Arizona game. Cristobal's first year, 2018, they had this Arizona game. 44 to 15 or Awful. something stupid they do like that. that. Once like, a year. Just didn't even show Hopefully up. They I'm lose like, Man, what that. is that? And I, that's one of my big questions because I'm always interested. Year one under a new head coach, what's it going to feel like? What kind of season are we going to have? Are there any similarities between Mario Cristobal year one and what we can expect from Dan Landing year one? Not necessarily in terms of style, but in terms of how the season goes, you know? Because it's a talented roster. Just, I mean, Cristobal had Justin Herbert for crying out loud. Obviously, as we know, um, and the schedule is going to shake out the way that it does. Are there going to be moments where you're like, "Wow, Dan Lanning, this is a really, really good coach," and get he's got a great staff? Or are there also going to be moments where it's like, "Oh man, yeah, he went to Boulder and lost." Like, didn't really think that that was going to happen. Uh, if th- if that's the case in early November. Um, there's more to dig into there, so so we'll dig into that in a moment. All right, when we come back, we'll continue some of the schedule talk. We'll get some of our picks on the over-under win totals for Oregon and Oregon State. And uh, continue to call in and give me one thing you're looking forward to this football season at 503-417-7575. More BFT coming up. Social media as well. Welcome back. BFT Nubian for Kanzano. Stephen Vaughn, Sean McPherson in the house as well. And did want to mention that the uh, celebration of life for Spencer Webb is taking place tonight at Autzen Stadium. 
uh, not allowing any news media uh, cameras in there or anything for obvious reasons. Um, but our heartfelt um, condolences are with the uh, the Spencer Webb family. Um, anyone that may have known him personally, certainly the football program, that athletic department, and what what is really just a heartbreaking heartbreaking scenario. And I wasn't here last week uh, when the news broke. I think it was uh, on Wednesday evening going into Thursday. And, Sean, I know that you were on the broadcast at the golf tournament. You talked with uh, some people, including uh, Mike Jorgensen, uh, about it. And um, so there's a celebration of life for Spencer. And uh, it's hard not to think about without getting choked up a little bit. And that's a significant loss of life. And everything that you kind of read about him, and I didn't really know a ton about him, um, personally, outside of the football player. But what Canzano wrote was helpful. Um, what Tyson Alger wrote was helpful. Uh, a lot of people had, had some good things uh, to share about Spencer Webb, the person, and the adversity that he overcame in life was substantial. Not from a great home, and ultimately his older brother plays a pivotal role in, in helping him in his uh, in his days growing up, and reprioritizing academics and just life discipline. And, you know, he ends up being just this just really, really good football player. And a lot of people in the Pac-12, a lot of people, you know, wanted him to, to come play for him. And he ends up coming to play for Oregon. I think we all remember the feeling of when the Ducks played Auburn in the 19 opener and that amazing play of Herbie chucking it to the end zone and Spencer Webb coming down with it, Allen Iverson style on Ty Lue and just dunking on folks in the end zone. Like, and you're like, Oh my gosh, that guy, that guy looks the part. And, uh, he ended up having, you know, obviously a, a, a pretty decent career with Oregon. I always thought that he could have been involved more in the offense, but they pretty deep at tight end. And obviously those guys are doing a lot of blocking in addition to being, um, you know, red zone targets and things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you see that news and you, you see his passing is just, it's just gut-wrenching and it's really, really hard to fathom. And, you know, every once in a while, a college football player, you know, dies too soon. And oftentimes for me, it's, I don't, I don't know the guy at all. It's not in the Pac-12, you know, it's at a different school and it's still like sad, but it doesn't really hit home. This one kind of hits home, and it's like this is one of our players at Oregon that we became familiar with for multiple years that was going to have another big role on the team this year, and let alone his on-field contribution, but everything that he meant in the locker room. And then seeing Dan Lanning's tweet, um, Mario Cristobal, you know, I think texted Kenzano about him and said, man, it went to hell and back with that guy. Um, we'll love him forever, and we'll, we'll miss him forever. Uh, and I bring that up for a couple of reasons. One, the celebration of life is tonight, and we're being mindful of that, and our prayers and our thoughts are with everyone involved, um, you know, in that, uh, in the celebration of life, and, and that are mourning the loss of Spencer Webb. Um, I also saw Brett McMurphy of Stadium Network and The Athletic said that Mario Cristobal was actually rearranging his schedule at ACC Media Days to be able to leave Charlotte and come to Eugene to attend Spencer Webb's celebration of life tonight. However, Cristobal's flight got canceled due to mechanical issues. 
and he won't be able to make it. Uh, obviously, Cristobal coached Webb at Oregon. So um, I thought that was interesting. Obviously, it's unfortunate that Mario can't be there, but um, I don't know. I thought that that's a, a meaningful move on Mario's part to try to make time to, to come out to Eugene. Obviously, he's not going to be able to be there, but, um, you know, that says... That says a lot, and uh, and especially during media days, you know, you can't control your schedule a whole lot in media days, except at the end of the day, you can. Like, if you just got to leave, you got to leave. And uh, so that would have been interesting to have Mario there, and um, that just would have been an interesting, you know, dynamic for Mario to be back with his former players, mourning the loss of somebody that obviously they went to battle with on the football field for, for multiple years. Um, so... That was notable. I wanted to pass it along to the audience as well. So Cristobal won't be there tonight, but uh, he tried to, uh, and mechanical issues on his plane kept him from getting out of Charlotte and getting to Eugene. But interesting just kind of note that Mario was was planning on attending Spencer Webb's um, celebration of life. Speaking of Mario Cristobal, you know, he did talk a lot today at uh, AZC Media Days, um, which, by the way, most of these conferences are going multiple days of media days. And the Pac-12, I think, has done multiple days once or twice. But, you know, it's just one day for the Pac-12 this year. And I can only imagine it's probably just going to be a couple hours in a, in 2024. Because who knows how many teams will still be part of this conference in a couple of years' time. But uh, Mario Cristobal was the subject of uh, a handful of topics, including retiring the turnover chain at the U. So Miami, they force turnovers on defense. They break out this big, obnoxious piece of metal called the turnover chain. Frankly, it's kind of cool when they're rolling, but when was the last time Miami's actually been rolling? They haven't in a while. So it's kind of kitschy when they're just trying to uh, to force feed some enthusiasm. Mario Cristobal announced, I think, last night, we're not having the turnover chain anymore on Coral Gables. We're retiring the turnover chain. It turns out some Keynes fans are mad. They're like, no, this is part of the fabric of what it means to be a Miami Hurricane. What are you doing, Mario? And uh, this was uh, Cristobal's answer to that. Uh, Jeremiah Quimby, Legacy Maker Sports Network. Uh, retirement of the turnover chain. A lot of fans are, you know, they're doing their stuff on social media. I'm sure you had a reason. The question. Why, are, why did we retire the turnover chain? You know, I think probably the media's put more thought into this than, than I have. Um, we just really focus on getting better as a program and have focused on technique, fundamentals, regimentation, academics, strength and conditioning, sports science, community service, and that's what the focus has been on. Um, it is not a, uh, a shot or uh, a form of disrespect to anybody or anyone, certainly you know, history is history. And whether it's positive, whether it's inconsequential, whatever it may be, it's still history and part of your program. We're just uh, moving in a direction that, you know, right now doesn't involve it. So um, that's really the best way to address it. But, you know, it's put it this way, it's been, uh, we've been working so hard and paying attention to so many other things that are, in my opinion, much more critical to winning football games and having success that it really hasn't been a, uh, a subject or a topic so but you know so you know we won't be using it so you guys okay with that okay we good now we could everybody got the the chain stuff okay All right. 
you could just tell his level of uh, enthusiasm to talk about the uh, the turnover chain being retired. Is he making the right move here, Sean? Yeah, it's all business for him. Uh, and it feels like, correct me if I'm wrong, but when Miami was rolling, there was no such thing as the turnover chain. And then they kind of lost relevance and they were struggling. They were kind of mediocre for a lot of the 2010s. And then they brought in the turnover chain. So now he wants to get rid of that. He doesn't want, you know, he it's all business, right? Like you don't need some gimmicky turnover chain. Like it, it's about winning games. It's about conditioning. It, it's about, it's about things that actually matter. And, uh, he wants to lose the gimmick. So I, I, I totally agree with him, although uh, just the way he answered that question re- reminded me of, you know, I was in student media when I was in Oregon. So I was at countless press conferences with Mario Cristobal and just his condescending answers and uh, just kind of the uh, – he wasn't totally disrespectful to the media, but if you if you bugged him with a question, he would kind of let you know about it by the tone of his voice, and that's exactly what I heard there. Yeah, I just uh, I love a couple of things about the question. One, listen to the media outlet the guy says he's from. That to me is hilarious enough. I'm gonna try to cue that up here at the beginning. Morning, Coach uh, Jeremiah Quinby, Legacy Maker Sports Network. <laughs> I think we have too many sports media groups, and I know I'm in sports media, but we start to have media groups called Legacy Maker Sports Network. I mean. <laughs> Legacy Maker Sports Network. I mean, I don't. I can't take that seriously. That's where he says he's from, right? Legacy Maker Sports Network. Morning, Coach uh, Jeremiah Quinby. Legacy Maker Sports Network. I mean, Legacy Maker Sports Network. Well, then he goes and just says a comment, and yeah. Chris Ball goes, "Question? <laughs> is there a question? This, I, is, this was great. He uh, was so annoyed. Retirement of the turnover chain. A lot of fans are, you know, they're doing their stuff on social media. I'm sure you had a reason." Good question. Why are, why are, <laughs> it's a terrible uh, question. Man. I'm sure you had a reason. And like you might as well said ellipses after that. It's the same They're tone of his stuff on social media. I'm sure you had a reason. The question. <laughs> Is there a question? It's, I'm sure he had a reason. It's the same tone of his voice that he used last year when he got countless questions about Ty Thompson over Anthony Brown. And right. It, it's that tone of voice where it's like, okay, I'll, I'll address this once, but stop asking about it. And you can kind of tell like just the, the anger in his voice a little bit when he answers it. Yeah. And frankly, the two Utah matchups, especially the last one with, uh, you know, there's so much smoke out there about him to going to Miami. I actually rewatched that press conference the other day and he was like, look, if there's something to report, I'll report it. I'll get it to you as fast as I can. Turns out that was like, super legit. Yeah. Well, I mean, he wasn't technically lying. But, I'm sure he was. He, he, but he had knew, agreed to be the coach. By yeah. Then. We knew what was going on behind the scenes. And uh, I think Jimmy Sexton is his agent. And whatever Jimmy was working in. Man, that's, that's just so weird. Miami, like Manny Diaz is there. Yeah, it was coaching, super cold. Winning seven games, by the way, which could have been worse. And yet they're doing all the stuff behind the scenes to to pull Mario home. I get it. Like at the end of the day, you want to get your guy um, and you don't really care about how you do it if you end up getting your guy in the end. But man, it just felt swarmy. It felt slimy. And then it didn't help that Oregon didn't show up. 
in Vegas. They just, well, why they didn't just they show, didn't show up? up? Well, let me ask you why. Why did? Why, I think why we do you all think know. they didn't show up? Exactly. I think, I think we all know. They had a coach who was thinking about other things. Clearly. Well, and the players looking at social media. And seeing all the rumors and seeing all the reports. And they probably and, knew some stuff behind the curtain as well. Yeah, probably. Because, you know, especially with the assistants that they're tied to, they're like, hey, man, like, what's going on? Be straight with me, right? That's all players want to know. They want to be, be straight with me. And then on top of that, you've got the more, one of the more awkward quarterback scenarios last season with Oregon since uh, the days of Jeff Lockie. <laughs> oh. Since that marvelous 2016 season. And yet... They win four games in 2016, so you kind of get it. Last year, they still end up winning double-digit games. And you still have one of the more hair-pulling quarterback situations that you can remember at Oregon. It's just such a weird dynamic. So many things going on. This year's going to feel so much different. Um, But the Ty Thompson piece is an interesting one. And I I just, I don't see Ty Thompson beating out Bo Nix for the starting job. And if he doesn't get it, I, I do wonder if he is gone before week one. Or he's been a trooper the whole way. Is he a trooper once again? You know, it'll be interesting. Yeah, especially with week one coming against Georgia. I can't imagine that they're going to throw Ty Thompson out there. Right? Like, I know Bo Nix was underwhelming at Auburn, and he wasn't always successful in the SEC. But if you're going against Georgia, man, you can't be throwing out Ty Thompson in that situation. you got to throw a guy who's been there and been in these situations. That is 100% true. Yeah, Bo Nix is playing that football game. Mm -hmm. By the way, Auburn and Georgia are rivals. So, like, Bonix has played that Georgia team before. And Georgia's interesting. Like, what, six first-round picks last year? Yeah, the first and second round, defense. First and second round was all Georgia defense, basically. Yeah. And then, you know, one of their best defenders ends up going third round because of the shoulder stuff with Nicole Kobe Dean. Dean. Yeah. Where did he end up? Philly. The Eagles, really? Philly got uh, Jordan Davis, you know, the nose tackle from Georgia in the first round. Then they doubled back and picked up a Nicobe Dean. Yeah, not the, Philly's interesting this year. They got Devin I, I like Allen, him. my guy. And Devin Allen, man. <laughs> I know you guys talked about it already, but you were on point with that. You know, you laid it out with uh, with Samson a couple days ago about that heartbreaking moment at uh, at the World Championships. And that's all anybody's going to remember from this, you know, for the for the casual casual fan that I am. I hope not. I'm not, I mean, I'll remember Allison Felix, you know, that's pretty cool, but um Devin Allen as well is just like that's that's gonna be what I remember from this because he's the Oregon guy, dude. Like the big moment and to to have it cut short is heartbreaking for him. Yeah, and I I screwed that up. I believe it was a tenth of a second um, that he you can't react um, right. right. So I I think I said something like I I had the numbers wrong, but yeah, a tenth of a second he reacted a point zero nine or maybe yeah. it was point zero nine nine or something like that. Or I think maybe it's a hundredth he, of a second. He was a hundredth of a second too fast. Yeah, Correct? exactly, exactly. So but it was. Uh, do you think he was anticipating? Like, what do you think? No, no, no. He's you, just you really an think unbelievable that was starter reaction? because his semifinal, he was one one hundredth of a second too slow compared to that threshold. So he was point one oh one, and maybe I have these numbers wrong, but the point still stands. He was point one oh one in the semifinal, and then he was point zero zero nine. So like literally, those just like. He was one little nanosecond above yeah. of it, and then he was one like so. He's just an unbelievable starter, and uh, that's his. That might be his his best skill. Like he's just so fast out of the blocks that they're gonna have to change the rule because of Devin Allen. And you know, and I hope they do, and I hope that's part of his legacy because I, of that. Because it, it should that should be how this story ends. It's already a tough story, but it should end with the rule gets changed because of it. So Fred Curley, uh, who 
hopefully is a big name by now. He won the hundred. He's fastest man in the world, American. He got he got hurt the other day. So I'm really hoping um, that they put they replace Curly with Devin Allen on the four by one relay. Okay. And That'd I, be great. that's what I'm really pulling for here. Allen is fast enough to be uh, on that relay team. And I, I would trust him. The handoff thing, there's a little bit of a curse going on with Team USA. Allen, I would trust. And I just really hope that they, they make amends and kind of do the right thing for Devin Allen. And I don't think they sacrifice losing there because uh, I think he's fast enough. So that's a storyline to watch out for if you're kind of a casual fan following the World Championships. And I heard you may be going. I'm going Sunday. Nice. Can't wait. Can't wait. I won't see the 4 by one I believe that's that's Friday or Saturday. But I, I'm going to see the 4 by 4s and a couple other really good events. So I, I can't wait. That's great. That's great. I'm uh, excited for you, and uh, you, you hope you enjoy that. I know that, look, hotels are probably getting a, a nice little run here oh. in the Eugene area. I think people are even staying as, as high as up here. Or I'm, I'm in Wilsonville. I think some of the Wilsonville hotels getting some action, too, so... It's a lot of fun just to have the overall vibe and, and buzz going uh, for these world championships. All right, we'll go away. We'll come back. I promise we'll dig into these schedules. Like, I keep teasing that ahead. We'll do that on the other side right here on the BFT. proud of myself kind of proud of myself just to let everybody behind the curtain a little bit here at the 750 the game studios the bft radio network flagship here in portland we got our studios corner of fifth and jefferson here in the beautiful pack west center and this is a summer of uh, reconstruction renovation remodeling all that lovely stuff and uh, so everywhere you go, out like you step one foot outside of these studios. Right now, I'm in a different studio than I normally would be in hosting the show because the first studio is already, you know, it's it's all the mics are gone. You know, it's going to be something else. So I'm in a different studio, first of all. Uh, then secondarily, um, we got no bathrooms on this floor right now. The bathrooms have been incapacitated uh, the last few weeks. So if you want to take a leak... You got to go up to the the floor above us. Um, you know, obviously, I'm hosting the show. You know, we got these commercial breaks. They're going about four minutes. And right about, you know, at 32, 33, a few moments ago, I was like, uh-oh, I, I got to go. You know, I've been holding this in since 330. It's probably why my, my takes have been so fiery, you know, because I've been pent up a little bit. Uh, I got I to gotta go release. So I just busted out during the last uh, the four minutes or so. Pulled a couple hammies on the way, but it was worth it, and I'm back here at the start of the segment. That's pretty good, right? I, I timed it out on my phone. It was like 2 minutes, 45 seconds from door to door to get from one studio to the elevators, up the elevators to the seventh floor, down the hallway, take the leak, wash the hands, I did wash my hands. Come back, <laughs> come back, get down the elevator, wave the key card, get back on the sixth floor, come back into the studio. I'm hearing John Canzano talking something about Jamba Juice, Lord knows what, and uh, I'm back and ready. It's that pretty is, good. It's good. That's an, that's impressive. So for me, I always have to do it. If I'm going to do it, it's always the third break because it's a little longer. See, I have to give the Ooh, update right there right. for the local the locals here. I don't have time to run up there, Judy. I you know I'm glad I could give you a little extra, little extra time. Yeah. With that update, but. 
I'm gonna yeah. be honest. I I've done that before, and I've returned pretty early in the break. I I feel like I I have a pretty quick uh pretty quick catch and time. Release. You know, I'd be curious to see my time <laughs> up there. Maybe I can make it to the world champion. New new content new content idea. Three I don't know what us, uh, compare times. Exactly. I don't know studio. what you're doing taking the elevator. Well, that's so what much do you slower. Do? What do you do? Oh, you take those stairs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, you run up those stairs. It's so hot in the stairwell, though. It's a lot of work. Yeah, you're in there for 10 seconds. Yeah. yeah I got to run not, up stairs. We're not like you, Sean. That's we're, the not, difference. Yeah. we're not long distance runners like you. You're like, young. You're young, Sparky. Yeah. What are you, 22? I'm 23. Yeah, I'm 35. You expect me to run up stairs? I don't even want to run up the stairs at my own house. You're 35? I am. I just turned 30. Yeah. So I'm the old guy. You're, we, you're just the old guy around here. Did we miss your birthday? When was your birthday? Uh, probably uh, July 3rd. Oh, man. Missed your birthday. It's all right, dude. Don't Happy worry about it. late birthday. 18 yeah. days ago. Great part is is that you get one birthday day to take off uh, anytime in your birthday month, you know, as part of your non-PTO PTO. So I'm taking my birthday day like next week, I think. Or maybe I already took it while I was sick. I can't remember. I, t- I think I took it out while I was sick, one of my birthday that days. That doesn't count. It doesn't count. You're sick. It doesn't count as a fun well, day. Well, technically it counts because that was the day he got paid as one of his birthday days, yeah. right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, so you know, it's either that or actually using PTO. Yeah. You know. Whatever. Counts to the bosses. All, all, the, uh, all the boss people. And I had to take the birthday day anyway. But yeah. Yeah. 30 years old. The whole world looks different and uh, and the same all at the same time. Um, but, you know. I'm trying not to think about it too much. Did you have a 30-year-old birthday crisis at all, Stephen? No, not at all. Just no. blew right through it? Yeah. Were you working for the Blazers care. at the time? No, uh, I don't think that I was. No, I wasn't. No. I had to think about it. When did you work there? Well, now I got to think about this, Judah. Maybe I was. <laughs> five years ago. Yeah, five years ago. So we're talking yeah, I the was, season I was. of 2017? I was with the Blazers at that time. What did we do in the 2017-18 season? Now I'm checking my LinkedIn to make sure I got it correct. You use LinkedIn? Well, I have one. I do you do you have LinkedIn, Sean? Yeah, I'm on there. I can't I can't tell if LinkedIn is a an important tool or not. Mm, if not. Maybe not in this industry. I actually think I found this job on LinkedIn, maybe. So yeah, I love it. Really? Yeah. Uh yeah, I was with the Blazers. I got let go in August of twenty seventeen. So yeah. When I turned thirty, I was with the Blazers. August of seventeen? Yeah. How did you get let go? If I can open up that uh, that sore wound. Well, I want I I really want it to be Neil came in and <laughs> crushed your ass out up and I, down, shoved you around a little bit. I it wish. happened in the training facility and said we don't need you, you anymore. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, definitely definitely lame. I I was in Vegas. I got a call from the Blazers and I saw the number and I just ignored it because I knew I could just tell. I was like, oh yeah, cool. I'll probably let go. Really? Yeah. I could tell because there was, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things. What we were doing, there's other things like Synergy and other products out there that do the same so thing. So Synergy ran you out Pretty of business. Pretty much is what I'm assuming, yeah. So they do the same thing we did, so they probably got it for cheaper. Do they just that. pair Because you were what, video scouting department? Yeah, so I was a video analyst. I was, uh, watch, basically, I was doing the first uh, the first job of breaking down the film. So I was doing like the initial breakdown. And then I we had that caller people. in hour one that said his kid was working yeah, for yeah. Scott Frost Nebraska. at Nebraska. Did that kind of sound similar to what you were doing on the basketball side? Yeah, so I, I worked from home, and basically I just watched 40 hours worth of basketball, and basically you just have to uh, decipher what type of play they're running, what direction they're running, who's guarding it, how they're guarding it, uh, you know, what the result of the play was, 
uh, basically any little detail in a basketball game, you have to log it down and track it. Then you send it off and you do that for every play. There's uh, usually like 400 and something plays in an NBA game. So it would take me like four hours to finish a game. You did this in the 16-17 season? I did. Okay, so the, the, the season went like this. They were 41-41, and 41, uh, eighth in the Western Conference. So um, you were part of that, right? I also did it in the season where the Blazers tanked. Nobody wants to talk about it, but uh, they tanked to get CJ McCollum. I went to the last game of the season. I was like, oh, yeah, hopefully it's a good game. And I got told directly, uh, no, we want to lose. So there we go. And they lost. The last game of the season? It was against the Warriors. Steph Curry broke the three-point record. Uh, and the Blazers lost that game, ended up getting CJ McCollum, so it all worked out. That was the one time I met Neil O'Shea, the only time I ever did. Oh, man. I've had a couple O'Shea interactions. Not that he remembers, um, unless it was on one of his seven burners. Yeah, he, he had no idea it was me. I just said, hey, how's it going? And he said, yeah, cool. And then he just ignored me. <laughs> My favorite, I was... Uh... When did what was CJ the 2013 draft? When was it? It was the Giannis draft. Um, yeah, it was that. It was the Anthony Bennett draft. How gross! Yeah, they actually made a good pick in that draft. It was a pretty bad one, but they also took CJ over Giannis. How do this is a segment for another time? How do we get number one overall picks so wrong sometimes? Well, the thing was, I actually liked Anthony Bennett as a prospect, not as the number one prospect. I thought he could be solid as an NBA guy. And then when he was picked one, I'm like, well, that's a terrible pick because he doesn't deserve to go there. But we all, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't he the odds on favorite to be the number one pick by the time the draft came around? Like that wasn't like a too Uh, big of a reach. Like, I I don't know. I remember that people thought, oh, yeah, yeah, he's going to be number one to... Cleveland, right? Yeah, because Oladipo went two. Yeah, he yeah. should have been one. Uh, yeah, I mean, was I awesome. wasn't, I wasn't too into betting. That's kind of point. a bad draft. It, well, then you know, Giannis, Giannis was later. CJ was later. Yeah, that that was a bad draft. Yeah, I wasn't too into betting at that time, especially the NBA, because it was technically illegal to bet on the NBA when I when he worked for an NBA team. So I, oh, I couldn't. Right. Um, I was into college betting. You know, that's fine. CJ tenth overall. Trey Burke ninth overall. It's bad draft. Otto Dude. Porter Jr. Otto Porter Cody Jr. Zeller, third. the fourth pick. Cody Zeller Blazer, was the fourth great. overall pick. Alex Ooh, Len that's a bad draft. at five. Nerlens Noel at six. Ben McLemore at seven. Rudy so, Gobert they, late first Based round. on that, I mean, Neil O'Shea did have a decent draft track record. Yes, For he did. all the bad things Neil O'Shea did, his drafting was actually pretty good, and he did a good job on the second round, too. You look at just second-round draft picks, I believe it's about a 25% hit rate or 20% hit rate of getting a second contract. Neil O'Shea had numerous second-round picks get a second contract. Gary Trent Jr. was one of them. Alan Crabb. Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton. Yeah, he had some, he had some hits in the second round. Yeah. Anthony was a late first-rounder. That was a good pick. Anthony, your, your favorite, Sean McPherson, willing to die on the hill of $100 million guy should come off the bench. Yep. Will Barton Will was die on pick. that hill. Yeah, yeah, Will Barton was a second-rounder, yeah. I mean, these guys are getting second deals elsewhere, though, right? Probably, yeah, but I mean, he found him in the second round. Like, they lasted two that Well, I mean, like, round. Will, did Will get a second contract here or Denver? No, in Denver. Allen got one here, correct? Yes. yes. That was one right. of the six, yeah, he, summer of 16 deals. Yeah, Brooklyn gave him the contract. Portland matched it. Oh, that's right. It's all coming back to me. Yeah, Thrill got traded for Aaron Aflalo when the Blazers went for it. And that then, uh, that's probably. Well, Wesley Matthews tore his Achilles. That's. It was actually not a bad trade because he was going to be the sixth man. Matthews ruptures his Achilles. They lose in the first round. Of the I was in the chair that you are in right now when we made the Aflalo deal. Yeah. And how pumped we were about it because it all fit. All the, You could see the pieces fitting. We were so fired up. And then what game was? It was like one or two games. Right after, yeah. 
and then Wesley injury happens with the Achilles, and it's like it's over. Now it's all it's all gone to crap. Yeah, they loved Will Barton too. When I was there, I remember they talking about that. Like yeah. they they loved Will Barton. C.J. Ellaby. I mean, <laughs> tough one. He's gonna get a second deal. By the way, I, when I was in Vegas uh, a couple <laughs> weeks ago, I saw C.J. Ellaby. He does not have the afro anymore. Really? Cornrows. Uh oh. Maybe a little identity crisis going on. I don't know. No longer with the team. Right. Yeah. I was, Which, some uh, ice cream. I was like, who's this giant guy? Oh, that's CJ Elby, but does he have an afro? That's definitely You were getting ice cream when you saw him there? Yeah. Was he getting ice cream? I don't know that he ordered anything. I think he just sat there and was hanging out with some homies. Okay. Yeah, he'll probably end up overseas somewhere. Yeah. Or, you know. Not, he, not in the NBA. Not probably not in the NBA. You know who's not? Uh, one guy I was on a rabbit hole, you know, because I was... I've always liked, you know, guys that had local ties. And I was thinking about high school. I, I uh, played baseball at McMinnville High School. Newburgh was our massive rival. And we had some great basketball games against Newburgh. A guy named Taylor Braun was uh, was at Newburgh. I knew his sister a little bit. and uh, But Taylor Braun, man, he could ball. Do you know that name at all? Because, I yeah. mean, you were probably contemporaries, I think, with him. Or maybe you were a little bit before him. No, I, I've heard the name. Yeah. And he ended up going to North Dakota State and yeah. taking them to the tournament. And was a great player at North Dakota State. I'm like, man, whatever happened to Taylor Braun? And he's playing in Israel or something. Yeah. I but was, he's like, he's actually a decent player. It's kind of funny. A little after my time, but yeah, I graduated in 05. So. Where'd you get, where'd you play high school? Ball? I went to uh, Rex Putnam. Scott Brocious territory. Yeah, but they hate him out there at Putnam. Brocious? Yeah, because Why? he didn't donate to Putnam. He donated to McMinnville. Yeah, he and did. Put- yes, he did. And Putnam is poor. We can't afford things. Dude. So uh, a lot of people don't like him there. All right, I'm up against the break, but I will give my Putnam <laughs> versus McMinnville no. And yes, I'm a McMinnville guy, so I love all the Brocious love here. Uh, yes, he did donate to us. Thank you very much. Oh, I know. Thank you very much. I've heard the stories. We'll go away. We'll come back. More BFT on the on the uh, BFT Radio Network. <laughs> You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Newbie in for Canzano on this fine Thursday on the BFT. Thanks for being along for the ride. Three to six weekdays. Stephen Vaughn, Sean McPherson in the house as well. Play the five at five coming up uh, to start our third and final hour in moments. Did mention that to little Scott Brocious anecdote and uh, in, in Rex Putnam High School where Scotty Brocious went to high school. My junior year, I'm playing varsity baseball, but I'm starting on the bench. I'm a good fielding, light hitting, middle infielder. Let's be honest, second baseman. No one's putting me at shortstop <laughs> by that point. Uh, but I'm just looking for my break. And the starting second baseman, who's a senior, uh, has a better bat than me. But uh, he did not have the glove. We play a non-conference game at Rex Putnam. And let me tell you, if there was ever a moment, it was evident that someone may have donated to McMinnville and not Rex Putnam. It was that game because that's a terrible baseball field. All uh, all apologies to uh, to the fine folks at Rex Putnam. But that is a rough baseball field. I can confirm. I can confirm that. Turns out it was to my benefit. Senior second baseman makes five errors in the first three innings of the game. 
coach, which, by the way, that tells you something. Five errors in three innings. It's a lot. Tells you how far my coach was willing to go before he wanted to put me in. He was, he was, he was trying not to. He was really giving him a shot, and he just couldn't take advantage. Finally, he's like, ah, I got it. Make a move. Gets out. Newbie, get your butt in there. So I played second base, but and I did not let go of the starting job uh, for the final um, two years of, of my high school career because I ended up being pretty darn good. Turned a few double plays uh, in the games that followed, and they said, all right, newbie, we'll put you there. We'll either DH for you or hit you eighth. Which, by the way, is somehow worse than hitting ninth. <laughs> ninth oh, is like second leadoff, you yeah. know. Eighth, no one, no one thinks the eighth place hitter is a good hitter. Well, and think about like right. when the NL still had pitchers. A lot of times, the manager put the pitchers at eight. Yeah, it's a Tony, Tony Larusa thing. Which, by the way, I'm a Cardinal fan. Like I, I think Tony's a great manager, except for right now. Now I don't understand now? anything that he does with the White Sox. <laughs> uh, but that's Chicago's problem for now. That being said, I looked at my high school stats the other day. Apparently, I hit like 310 there you go. in high school. But I yeah. I, wasn't, I, mean, I wasn't that good of a hitter, so I don't really know who was putting the stats in. Maybe it was me. Who knows? Yeah, you go. Uh, but that's my Rex Putnam story. Thank you, Scott Brocious, for donating to MacTown. We'll always appreciate it. All right, final hours coming up on the BFT. <laughs> B-F-T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Jude and Newby with the bald-faced truth. Final hour, going to go fast, going to have some fun along the way. Thanks for being here. BFT on the BFT Radio Network, whether you're listening in the Portland area on the flagship 750 The Game, down there at Fox Sports Eugene, or uh, down there in Douglas County in the Roseburg area on 1490 The Score, or our friends at Klamath Falls as well. Thanks for being here. Of course, you can always catch the podcast on the BFT Podcast Network, 750thegame.com for that as well. Newbie in for Kanzano. John will be back again Monday. It's going to be a big week of shows leading up to Friday of next week, the 29th of July, Pac-12 Media Days. It will be a Media Days unlike any other. Down in the city of Los Angeles, site of USC and UCLA, the new villains on the block. USC and UCLA will be there at Media Day. So will John Canzano talking to Lincoln Riley, talking to Mike Bone, talking to Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov, and uh, he'll bring you some of the best content that you will hear across the country with any of these Media Days, uh, with any of these major conferences. I mean, what we are able to do on the BFT is uh, it's always unique. We always get the best content, and we always get the best answers out of these coaches and these players. Last year, Kayvon Thibodeau was great. Uh, the two years before that, Justin Herbert was down there talking with John. Obviously, it was Cristobal as well every year. Uh, and some of the other guys outside of uh, the Ducks and Beavers programs. He always gets good stuff with Chip. We know Canzano's got a good relationship with Chip and each and every year. Uh, they, you know, they've got some fun bantering about the latest in college football this year. I have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, I can't wait. It could be like a car car crash that you can't look away from, you know, with uh, Lincoln Riley there and and Chip there and Martin Jarmon and Mike Bone and you know everybody's pissed at USC and UCLA. Of course, George K is pissed among everybody, and we're all going to be in the same room, doing the same media tour and. I'm I'm frankly fascinated by it. So that's going to be next Friday, and John will be live from L.A. bringing that to you. And uh, the run-up really gets going next week, 
uh, with JC back in the chair on Monday. So he'll have a lot to talk about. Until then, I got you for the rest of the show today and tomorrow as well. Thanks to Peter Sampson for filling in earlier this week, too. As we start our final hour, let's bring you the 5 at 5. The 5 at 5. All right, five big stories going on in the world of sports. I'll rip through them, and then Stephen, Sean, and I will banner them about. How about the Philadelphia 76ers? Yes, James Harden is coming back. We knew that he was going to come back. It was just what kind of dollar figure after he turned down like $40 million a year. But not only is Harden coming back, but I noticed today Philadelphia 76ers are creating a new development company that is going to spearhead a $1.3 billion project to build a privately funded arena in downtown Philly. The team made the announcement this morning. So the 76ers are going to have a new arena. They don't plan to be there until the 2031-32 to 32 season. So still a decade away pretty much. That's when the lease expires at their current home, the Wells Fargo Center. They won't break ground on this new site for several years. And uh, the team has got a nice little partner that uh, has already built some stuff in downtown Philadelphia to bring this arena into being. So... It's just, you know, building arenas, building new stuff is hard to get done. I mean, the best way is to privately fund it because it's hard to get the public on board. It, you've got to be in the right market in order to get publicly financed new digs for your team. So this is going to be the quickest way that the Sixers can get something done. But Wells Fargo Arena never really struck me as like a bad venue. Like it was always a, a pretty decent spot. And like I've been to a, a one game there. Uh, I went to a Celtic Sixers game, actually, a few years ago, which is a great, great game because it's a big rivalry there. And, um, you know, they've got Lincoln Financial Field, Wells Fargo Arena, Citizens Bank Park, and the Spectrum, I believe. Like, they're all in the same kind of quadrant in Philly, which is outside of downtown. So this would be a move downtown for the new Sixers Arena. It's going to be interesting, but it didn't really strike me as – Oh, that's an arena that needs an upgrade, and yeah. yet that's the route they're going to go. I mean, I guess if you uh, you want to start early than late, right? You want to get to it early before it falls apart and, uh, you know, a thing like that, I guess. I mean, that's the I, I one guess. thought, I guess. Hey, just make sure there's a Chickies and Pete's somewhere close so you can get your Philly cheesesteak and uh, make sure you go to a game. So $1.3 billion new arena coming to downtown Philly for the Sixers. It's just something to think about because, you know, we know the Rose Quarter. Like, you could do worse than the Rose Quarter. You can do a lot better than than the present condition of the well, Rose Quarter. What's the difference between the Sixers and the Blazers? It's the owners, right? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's what this what's is. What's the difference between the Blazers and enter team here? Exactly. <laughs> the ownership Philly's, situation. Philly's clearly got some owners that are willing to pay. Yeah. I mean, and, and they've got connections, and frankly, they probably got uh, enough political will there, too, even though this is going to be privately financed. But it does get me... Like, man, at a certain point, if the Blazers, they need ownership that is going to be real estate-minded. And guess what? They have that in Phil Knight and Phil Knight's partner, Alan Smolinski. Like, that's Smolinski's deal, real estate. And uh, if that ownership group can come through and, and purchase this team, boy, that would actually it'd be great for the Blazers, but it'd be really good for the Rose Quarter and events there, in my mind, because of Smolinski's influence. But... Man, hard to get optimistic with Jody at the helm because I think she knows that she's got something that somebody wants, and she is going to she's going to make it bleed. 
She's going to make it hard to get from her. And uh, Adam Silver might have to pull some strings behind the scenes to get the Blazers into Phil Knight's hands before it's too late. Because I don't think Jody's going to do him any favors, unfortunately. All right, number two in our five at five. This is actually kind of cool. Dallas Cowboys. We obviously know that they play on Thanksgiving each and every year, whether you like it or not. Sometimes it's a good game. Sometimes it's a snoozer, but it's Thanksgiving Day football. But uh, the Cowboys are bringing back their throwback uniforms and their white helmets for the Thanksgiving Day game. For the first time since 2012, the Cowboys are going to wear their throwback jerseys and their white helmets when they take on the New York Giants Thanksgiving at AT AT&T Stadium. The throwbacks apparently went to the wayside under the NFL's health and safety protocols, probably because of the white helmet, but... The league did approve rules that allowed a second helmet, and the Cowboys and their fans are happy to use that white helmet for the uh, Thanksgiving uniform game against the New York Giants this year. I think it's kind of cool because this look dates back to 1960, the Cowboys' first year in the NFL when they wore white helmets before adopting the silver helmets as their primary helmets in 1965. Uh, I know they've worn the white helmets a little bit before, but frankly... Not only the white helmets, but like the navy blue jerseys with the white shoulder pads as well. That's kind of like the early 90s look. Like I think of Charles Haley Cowboy teams like back then. And obviously Aikman uh, when they had back and forth NFC championships with the 49ers back then. Like they, they wore these on the road. Yeah. Obviously they wore white at home. But, you know, it's cool to see these uniforms and cool to see these helmets. I think they're doing the right thing, bringing it back for uh, for Thanksgiving. Hey, anything that you can get a casual fan excited about with the Cowboys, it's probably a good move because by default, we're going to hate these guys. All right, number three in the five at five, Georgia is the week one opponent for the Oregon Ducks. We know it's going to be six weeks away. And today, Georgia announced a contract extension for head coach Kirby Smart. Ten years, $112.5 million, reportedly making him the highest paid coach in college football. Of course, Kirby... Got Georgia a national title for the first time in 41 years. Now he's going to get over $112 million paid out through the 2031 season. Smart will make over $10 million this season. And his salary is going to rise to over $12 million by the time that this wraps up in 2031. So this is just a little tick better, I think, than Brian Kelly's deal with LSU. LSU got Brian Kelly for 10 years, $95 million. Uh, Jimbo Fisher had a four-year extension with AM that's going to pay him $90 million over 10 years. Dabo Swinney, 10 years, $93 million. <laughs> and, like, all these guys making almost $100 million. Now Kirby actually making $100 million, making $112 million over 10 years. And yet Kirby said yesterday, you got to be careful with this NIL stuff. You don't want to pay these student-athletes too much money. He's like, okay, Kirby. Whatever you say. You can't be complaining about NIL and then take $112 million. Yeah. Whoops. But I will say, you know what? Out of all the coaches in the nation, you know, Kirby's one of the go- one of those that is probably worth that money. You think Dan Lanning ever gets an extension like that? Got to do something special. I mean, Kirby Smart just won a title. So you got to you gotta earn it. Not yeah. from Oregon. Make a playoff. Make a playoff, and then maybe we're talking that kind of money. It's really not fair to, you know... Talk about Dan Lanning and what his next step after Oregon is going to be, but we already are. I did think about that. I mean, I was like, man, 
Well, if we did this. We did Willie. We did Mario. Here's Dan. Like, are we really going to be naive? To so maybe Oregon's desperate to, to lock him up like George Plus, just did Kirby. It's just yeah, whatever we SEC team fires their coach next. I, I, I know that, but we were desperate to keep Mario, too. Like, Rob and Phil opened up the wallets. Anything Mario wanted, pretty much, to try to keep him to stay. And the only thing that got him out was his hometown team. I don't we, – we talked about this when Landon got hired. I don't think he's got a Miami job yeah. in his back pocket. I don't think he's got the Willie Taggart Florida State job in his back pocket. Like Went to a small school. Went to a small school, right? Jewel or something like that. William and Jewel, I believe You it know, is. a Missouri kid, Kansas City area guy. Like, what? He's going to go to Manhattan, Kansas? Coach up uh, the Wildcats? Maybe no, Georgia would have been that destination. I think Georgia, yeah, I mean, maybe. Kirby, but Kirby's locked up. Even then, like, I mean, his only loyalty to Georgia was the fact that he, that was his most recent stop, and he, hey, he helped coach up a national champion defense. But that's the one optimistic turn that you could say as a Duck fan. You want Dan Lanning here for the long haul. He doesn't exactly have ties to another program like Willie did and like Mario did that would pull him away. So we'll see. But obviously, yeah, you got to win. You got to do something special to make $112 million over 10 years, and that's what Kirby's getting with Georgia. All right, number four in the five at five, the Cleveland Browns. Making a move at quarterback, they are signing Josh Rosen, the chosen Rosen, former UCLA standout, used to date Jim Mora Jr.'s daughter. I don't know if they're still together or not. Probably not. But, man, Josh Rosen was a good college quarterback. Uh, He beat Oregon in that 2017 season down there in uh, Pasadena. Ended up being a top 10 NFL pick of the Arizona Cardinals. Ultimately did not really uh, work out there. He's been with five NFL teams since he was drafted out of UCLA. And his newest team is the Cleveland Browns. Browns are signing Josh Rosen to a one-year deal. He was the number 10 pick in the 2018 draft. He last played for the Falcons last year. He just went two for 11 with two picks. Nine incompletions and two picks. That's tough. Solid. Yeah. (laughs) Getting it done. Sorry, Josh. But, you know, the Browns, Kevin Stefanski, they've got uncertainty at quarterback. Because who knows what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson, if he's going to be suspended and for whatever length of time. They do have Jacoby Brissett on that roster. He'll essentially be quarterback number one entering training camp with the uncertainty with Deshaun Watson. But uh, they ended up getting some insurance in Josh Rosen there. So training camps will get going here in a couple of weeks. Cleveland is interesting, unfortunately, because of the Deshaun Watson news. And we'll see what kind of team that they can uh, put out on the field. Because ordinarily, that's an offense that's fun to watch from a strictly football standpoint. What Stefanski's able to do there with that run game, that offensive line, and the play-action element there. But it's not exactly a team I'm looking forward to watching nearly as much if it's Deshaun Watson playing quarterback just because it doesn't feel right. doesn't feel right. And the fifth of our five at five, Patriots say that they will not have an official offensive coordinator to replace Josh McDaniels. So this was one of the big questions, right? Josh McDaniels gets the head coaching job in Vegas with the Raiders. And then uh, the Patriots announced today some titles for the assistant coaching staff. And none of the titles include offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. Frankly, no one's going to be the out-and-out coordinator on either side of the ball. Uh, You've got Matt Patricia, who is going to be a senior football advisor slash offensive line which is funny because Patricia, last time he was in New England, was the defensive coordinator. 
And you get uh, former Giants head coach Joe Judge, who used to be the special teams coach in New England. Now he's back in New England as an offensive assistant slash quarterback coach. And uh, Belichick will be involved on defense. Uh, let's start there, Stephen and Sean. Crazy or smart? Bill Belichick not giving offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator titles. I think it just shows that Belichick is in charge of everything, right? Like, he just wants to have his hands on every single thing that goes on with that organization. And, I mean, if you're Bill Belichick, why wouldn't you? I mean, you've won so many Super Bowls. A lot of people consider you maybe the best coach of all time. I mean, I don't have a problem with it uh, because, you know, he uh, is obviously going to divvy out, you know, uh, things to do for the offense and the defense. He's not going to run everything. But it's just a title, and, you know, he's trying to make it where – I'm the boss. Everyone else is underneath me, so I, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I think this is just him being Belichick, being a little bit different because he can, because he's the best. And uh, I also think you have to keep in mind his son's on the coaching staff. So does this have anything to do with the fact that his son's on the coaching staff, avoiding these titles, and maybe the son wants a certain title, and, uh, you know, uh, he's like, all right, we're going to lose the titles all, all together, and you're you're part of my coaching staff. Does that have anything to do with this? I don't really think of it that way, but it could be. Maybe <laughs> he – I just don't get, like, Matt Patricia was literally yeah, the he, defensive he's coordinator. He's the defensive coordinator. I mean, he's I mean, probably calling the shots, right? Probably. Well, it's probably Bill, first and foremost. I don't know who's going to call plays. And obviously we'll figure it out because the camera will pan on to somebody with a headset on and uh, talking into a mic unless – there's going to be like three different play calls, one for the D-line, one for the linebackers, one for the coverage unit, you know, and I think that's what Steve Belichick did was uh, was secondary in linebackers. I could be wrong. I'll have to look into that. But, yeah, just one of those things. Yeah, Belichick is trying to muscle up and just be different. Um, but, hey, man, we'll see. Last year I think they were the last playoff team in or maybe they were the sixth seed. I can't remember. Obviously there's seven seeds in each conference, but go up to Buffalo and got – Crushed. Got smoked. Just didn't even show up, which yeah. was kind of funny. They played in Buffalo a month before that, and that was that crazy weather game, right, with the wind, and Mac Jones threw three passes, and they did whatever they wanted to Buffalo. And then two weeks later, Buffalo went down to Gillette, did whatever they wanted offensively, and looked great and figured some things out. And then they meet again a third time in a month and a half in the playoffs, and again, it was Buffalo's, uh, Buffalo's game to control. Can I, can I say... I've been hearing a lot of Mac Jones buzz. I've even seen some dark horse MVP stuff with him. Mac Jones isn't that good of a quarterback. I, I he's he's overrated. He's he's holding Belichick's hand the entire game his rookie year, and people are like, "Oh, he's the rookie of the year. This guy's a future star." I really I I'm gonna go on record and say I don't think Mac Jones is gonna be that good of a quarterback. I don't think that's a that's that bold. I, what what MVP buzz is out there? I listen for Mac to Bill Jones. Simmons a lot, so maybe <laughs> that's where this is what coming team, from. What team does he root for? The I Patriots. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's in the perfect situation for what he is. Like, he doesn't have the best arm. You know, he's not the most athletic. And so with Belichick, he's not going to make him go out of his comfort zone. And they got good running backs as well. You know, they got a couple good running backs. But that's the interesting thing. If the Patriots are going to be good. Those skill position players on the outside of the receivers aren't that great. So Mac Jones, like you said, if he isn't good, that the Patriots may not be a playoff team this year. Yeah, they got – I mean, the wide receiver position has always been a problem for them in the last few years. Jacoby Myers finally caught his first career touchdown last yeah. year, you know, and he's yeah. like your ex. Kendrick Bourne, you know, they signed. Milwaukee native, Milwaukee. I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, so – you know, he did some good things as, like, the fourth receiver in San Francisco. Well, but... think about that. Cooper Cup and Kendrick Bourne both played at Eastern Washington. Yeah. It's a good receiver core. Cooper Cup crushed Oregon. 
I was looking up when the stats of that game. Yeah, two fifty yards or something like no, that. I think above three Bills. Really? Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll have to look that up, but I think when they played, wasn't that twenty fifteen? Uh, those the Vernon Adams year. No, yeah, it was yeah, Vernon yeah. Adams. Yeah. Vernon I, Adams. I just looked this up too. I Vernon Adams gets game. hurt that game, like toward the end or whatever, and it kind of screws him up for Michigan State the following week. Mm. Golly, yeah. that was a tough Michigan State game. That was the road Michigan State game because that was the second of the home and homes that we had that Oregon had. With I threw sporting. the remote. Here's the stats from that game. That uh, Oregon won 61-42. Vernon Adams. Uh, threw for 246 and two touchdowns. Royce Freeman ran for 183 touchdowns. Tony Brooks James, 63 yards, two touchdowns. Cooper Cup, 15 catches, 246 yards, and three touchdowns. Kendrick Bourne had five catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown. You're right, Sean. Okay, 246 yards. Only 246. 15 <laughs> Three catches. touchdowns, 15 catches for Cooper. Who was Eastern Washington's quarterback? Uh, they split between Jordan West and Riley Hennessy. <laughs> Riley Hennessy. Wow. They were going to play. I don't think it was that year, but uh, they had a McMinnville kid on the team, Gage Gubrud, mm. around then, too. But he never got the uh, the starting gig. Well, he did get the starting gig there and then transferred to Washington State. That's what it was. Thought he was going to get some run at Wazoo and then never did. They went they went a different direction with Mike Leach. But, man, <clears throat> Eastern Washington, that's a, that's a pesky foe. But Duck fans, we put up, what, 61 in that game. But Vernon, I think there was like a concussion and a finger thing. That happened to Vernon in that game, and it was the finger that really screwed up Michigan State the following week. Well, and there was one throw late fourth quarter, right down the sideline, that if Vernon hits that throw, Ducks go ahead late in the game and probably win that game. But uh, it ended up costing them. Eastern Eastern Washington week two this year. I'm right, not, that's not that's not your typical week off game. Right, right. I, I feel like that the preseason this year is just brutal. Georgia, Eastern Washington, BYU. It's uh it's tough. Well, That's... let's talk about that on the other side because I've been promising to go through these schedules and we just haven't done it. We'll we'll do that with the Ducks and the Beavs coming up here on the Bold Face Truth. Back to the Bold Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All right, welcome back to the show. Newbie in for Canzano. JC back again Monday, leading up to Pac-12 Media Days next Friday, live from L.A. right here on the BFT Radio Network. Stephen Vaughn, Sean McPherson in the house with me as well. As promised, let's finally dig into these schedules, talk some over-unders. I grouped the Oregon games and the Oregon State games into three categories. Games you should win, games you probably lose, and toss-up. And predictably, a good amount go into toss-up. And then I was like, okay, well, what if you go, you know, basically split your toss-up games? What kind of record are we looking at? So let's start with the Oregon Ducks. Their schedule, first of all, obviously we know the opener is coming up in about six weeks. They're taking on Georgia, the defending national champions in uh, Atlanta. And uh, they're sizable underdogs in that game. So I put that one in the probably lose category. <laughs> uh, yeah, 17.5-point dogs. I'll uh, say it's a loss. We'll talk. Well, there will be a lot of time to talk about that game. We'll talk about that matchup tomorrow a little bit as well um, because I think that's too rich of a spread, especially the press release that announced Oregon-Georgia was a sellout said that it's 
going to be a top 10 matchup. Hmm. Is really? Oregon is Oregon going to be a top 10 ranked team? No not pre, not preseason, no way. Let me read to you. Yeah, give it to me. Let me read to you the press release on uh, Oregon Georgia Chick-fil-A game officially sold out. So, yeah, it's it's in the subhead. Header, Oregon versus Georgia, Chick-fil-A kickoff game officially sold out. Subhead, a top 10 matchup. The Chick-fil-A kickoff game's 14th sellout since 2008 will represent one of the hottest tickets in the game's history. The much-anticipated matchup between Oregon and defending national champion Georgia will take place in a packed Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Officials today announced the game is sold out a month and a half before the Ducks and Bulldogs meet September 3rd. The game will feature two projected top 10 teams in Oregon, and they have in parentheses nine, and Georgia in parentheses three, and will be the highest ranked neutral site game of the opening weekend. And I was like, "Is do they know something we don't in terms of the preseason AP rankings, which are not out yet, but Georgia being three is actually kind of interesting, like, Okay, I know they obviously a lot of guys left for the NFL, but they're still one of the favorites in my mind. I'm yeah. assuming Bama is one and Ohio State's two. Yeah. And Georgia's three. But Oregon at nine? Seems, I mean, am I missing high. something? Seems high. I mean nine for Oregon with a new head coach? I mean Not I, like entirely new staff. They're gonna be good, but nine? I guess if they just want to sell the matchup as being a top ten matchup, they're gonna have to. But yeah, I mean, there's no there's nothing else I would say that they're a top ten team preseason wise. If you just look at the team, you look at the coach, like they're going to be fifteen to twenty around there. But nine is definitely well, high. Let's think about this. Let's think about the teams that are definitely better than Oregon, because the, although like Oregon, we might not think are that good right now. How many teams are that good in college football right now? You know who's definitely should be better than Oregon, like in the Pac-12, Utah, Utah probably higher. I would probably I'd put uh, you know Bama, Ohio State. Georgia, I'd probably put Notre Clemson. Dame up there. Clemson. Probably Clemson. Oklahoma. Probably Oklahoma. A&M. Definitely A&M. Definitely A&M. That's, uh, A&M's so that's a like, top five team. They might be like, number four. We just named off eight teams right there. Um, Oregon is the 17th best gambling odds. That sounds about well, right. Well, that's, that's not top ten. No. Who's above them? at right? all. Who's above them right now? You want me to name every team? At, all of them. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, uh, USC, Texas A&M, Utah, Texas, Michigan, Notre Dame, LSU, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Oklahoma State, and then they are tied in gambling odds, uh, 75 to 1. Miami, Penn State, Oregon, Michigan State, Florida, Baylor. Those six teams are 75 to 1. That sounds about right. Yeah, that does sound about right. So, yeah, like teams like Oklahoma State going to be up there. Baylor's below them or tied with them? Tied with them. Baylor just won the Big 12. And they were uh, they are the betting favorite, I believe, to win the Big 12 this year. Yeah. For the really? first time ever. Man, Dan- for Oklahoma. Wow. Yep, for the first time ever. Obviously, I'm thrilled with Dan Lanning, but there was a quick whiff of Dave Aranda to Oregon. That would have been huge. I would have loved it. Yeah. I would have freaking loved it. Like, Dave Aranda is one of the best that coaches in the country. Dream. That one was a pipe dream, I think. Probably. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, because he's so new at Baylor, and you could argue it's lateral. There was Sataki buzz, too. There was Sataki buzz. There was, yeah. In fact, I mean, I know some people in the BYU program, they're like, yeah, Sataki would be great. Obviously, we're familiar with him when he ran defense under Gary Anderson in Corvallis. Turns out he was a much better head coach than 
his former boss ever could be. Um, like Sataki would be great, but I think it's a better fit for Sataki at BYU than mm-hmm. it is at Oregon. I think Landing, I think they got the right guy in Dan Landing. Obviously, it's easier to say that now that we're a little bit more familiar with him, but it's before he's coached a game. I still think they ended up making the right hire there. So, all right, well, let's get back to the schedule (laughs) (laughs) before this bleeds into tomorrow again. So that's week one, Georgia. Week two, Eastern Washington. That's a win. Put that in the should win category. Uh, Week three, BYU. That that should be a win. That's Ooh, you say it should be a win? That should be a win at Austin. I think the Oregon Ducks should win that game. Without Zach Wilson with BYU, new cor- yeah. new quarterback. I think they that didn't is, have that's Zach game. Wilson last year, and they they crushed the, the Pac-12. That's the thing. That, that's the thing. Like BYU has, has run the Pac-12 for the last but few years Oregon, for some if, reason. If Oregon wants to be that top program where they're trying to make college football playoffs, they should be able to beat a BYU at home. You'd hope. I I would say that they should be. And talent wise, recruiting wise, they're way above BYU. I think it's a game that they should win. I think, I think they're, they're underrating. Gonna... BYU's got some talent, and they uh they're a formidable program. They beat Utah last year. Like, like I I think if I'm handicapped in that so game, I would State. have I would have the Ducks as a double digit favorite, like ten point favorite in that game. Die right now? Yeah. I think it's like a it's seven. Favorite. It's seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's seven. I for I the mean, record, I, I, mean, I said that before yeah. Judith. Said it. I said they should be a touchdown favorite, and then Judah said a split second later. It's right, seven. Well, I can't wait to bet my money on Oregon that game. Then I'm pumped for that. I'm pumped for that. We're gonna have to start our, another betting show uh, on the weekends to right. get that going. Uh, I, I, draft I, I honestly think that is a game that Oregon, if they're striving to be this type of team and they're with all the recruiting talent that they've gotten, like this should be a win that they get. So there's a couple of conversations going on here. Like I agree with you. I agree with that sentiment. But in terms of categorizing games on the schedule, would you put it in the should win category or the toss up category? I do. I put it in the I right. put it in the should win. Okay, good to know. I put it. That's my first toss up game for Oregon. I agree with you. And that's fair. Yeah. But we'll uh, we'll keep going. All right. The Pac-12 schedule for Oregon starts September 24th at Pullman at Washington State. Should win. Here's my take. Toss up. Pullman is where good teams go to die. Yeah, in November, not yeah. the first conference game of the year. Toss up. I'm not even a duck fan. Dickert's more ex- more experienced than Dan Lanning. Yeah, but talent now. The talent now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Cam. It's it's up to how good Cameron Ward is. I feel like he's. And obviously, they got Eric Morris, who knows the system, kind of a leech guy. And Morris coached up Cameron Ward at Incarnate Word, and that's going to be the system. Like they've got stuff there. I just. After BYU, young team goes to Pullman. Pullman or Washington State is the more experienced coach. Cameron Ward, who knows I'm what he could be? Barely more, like barely more barely experienced more experience. coach. Like I'm calling Jake Dickert more experienced than Dan Land. Like, what, you got four more games than him? Washington State has almost beat Oregon at Odson the past couple of seasons. Yeah, like I, they I, they always give Oregon trouble. They they do give Oregon trouble. Then and Oregon's a... weak in the secondary this year. For right now, yeah. less experienced in the secondary. I could, I could point you to several reasons why I think that's a toss-up game. It's a, it, I, I can see I them. It's a, it should be a win. I can see them losing, but in terms of categorizing it on the schedule, it's a should win for me. It's kind of the way Steven probably feels about the BYU game. Exactly. Like the BYU game to me is toss-up because maybe it's just that much respect I have for BYU. Like for me, I I think if you're Oregon, you need to take care of business. But to your point, Sean, like. Stanford last year is a, it's a should-win game. Yeah. And we know what happened with Joe Moorhead and all that, but they laid an egg out, outside of this all that. Is, I, I, I have respect for Washington State, and anytime 
even if it's at Autzen, even if the Ducks are rolling, anytime the Ducks meet Washington State with that air raid offense, I worry. And I feel like this is a year where there's going to be less of that gap, especially early in the season. Washington State might take a little bit of time to get going, but I think Oregon's going to be a team that's, that's going to take time to get going. Plus, they're coming off of a game against BYU. Stanford's the week after. I just I think Pullman's going to be – Pullman's probably a top-five environment in the Pac-12. So yeah, I mean, if it's a night game, it's it's better than if it's a day game as well. Uh, there, if you're Washington State, you've got your opener is against Idaho to start the year, and then Washington State is at Wisconsin week oh, wow. two, uh, twelve thirty on Fox on September tenth. I think that'll show a lot, right? If they compete against Wisconsin, I yeah. think then you can agree with Sean. Maybe it is a toss-up game, but if Wisconsin kind of takes care of business, those styles, should be a, those should styles be. couldn't be different, more different. <laughs> Washington State versus Wisconsin. Well, you don't think Paul Chris likes the air raid? <laughs> uh, then Wazoo hosts Colorado State week three, and then Oregon will be their first conference game as well uh, week four. All right, so a little bit of banner on these. We, we're split on a couple of those. We'll go through the rest of the schedule on the other side of the break. More BFT coming up on the BFT Radio Network. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All right, we'll keep going through the Oregon schedule here. Judah Nubian for John Canzano on the BFT here in the Portland market. Peter Sampson in the polls coming up at the top of the hour. Quick note on BYU and how good they're expected to be under Kalani Sataki coming off back to back double digit win seasons. I'm reading out of my Phil Steele Bible. Thank you, Phil, for that. Tough, tough schedule for BYU, though. They've got home game against Baylor week two, road game at Oregon week three. October 8th, they play Notre Dame in Las Vegas. The week after that, they are hosting Sam Pittman in Arkansas, which is a, you know, gave some SEC teams tough battles last year. They're also going to Liberty. I don't know how good Liberty is this year, but sometimes they're feisty. Obviously, post Malik Willis. November 5th, BYU is at Boise State. And at the end of the year, they are at Stanford as well. But Phil Steele says, hey, despite that schedule, most of his power ratings call for another 10-win season for BYU this year. Wow. so That's a brutal schedule. It's a brutal schedule, and he still thinks that they could win double-digit games. So it tells you a little bit about Probably the talent on that team too. Well, then maybe I was a little, a uh, little, you know, easy on them, a little hard on them. We'll see. I mean, I could, I, I could, still think it's a should be an Oregon win, but yeah, here we yeah. go. Yeah. So I have Georgia probably lose. Eastern Washington should win. BYU is a toss up. Wazoo is a should win for me on the road. For Sean, it's a toss up game. Then October first versus Stanford should win. Mm-hmm. Uh, October eighth at Jed Fish in Arizona should win. Should, should win. win. <laughs> By week should win. Hopefully. October 22nd versus UCLA. Toss-up. That's a toss-up for me as well. At home? At home. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that being a toss-up. I'll be curious to see how good UCLA is this year. It sounds like this is a year where they're going to be ranked. You know, it, yeah. it seems like things are clicking down there uh, in Westwood. And, yeah, I think I, I'm more worried about the Washington State game. Uh, but it's still it's it's on the it's on the easier end of toss-up games for me. I just think UCLA is more talented than Washington State, but I obviously yeah, Pullman's a tough place to play on the road. 
Uh, Chase Coda revenge game. You know, he's yeah. a ducky. Chip Kelly revenge game. That's always Chip revenge, but Chip, last time he was up at Eugene, like they had that weird stuff going on with DTR, and Chase Griffin had to start at quarterback. Yeah, and the uh, the COVID year, and they still almost, they game. still almost beat Oregon. Oh, like man. Oregon had a bunch of special team stuff go their way in that game. Oh, they. I think uh, they threw a pick six, I believe. Yeah, at the end of the uh, half. At the end of the half. Yeah, yeah that was a wacky game. So, yeah, that's going to be a fun one at the end of October. Uh, October 29th, Halloween weekend at Cal. Trap game. I put that in a in the toss-up category. Ooh. Me as well. It's a trap game. Because it's on the road. And Wilcox is such a good coach. I mean, I respect him as a head coach a lot. I think he's one of the best in the, in the conference so Anytime you go on the road there, I think it's a it's a tough game. He has Wilcox seems to have Oregon figured out a little bit. Not that he's beaten him that well, they beat them that twenty twenty year, which yeah. I, I don't really think about that seriously. But uh last year even they, they came to Eugene and, and gave the ducks some trouble. So uh the last couple of years, you know, Cal always and then a couple of years ago, two thousand nineteen, that was a low scoring, ugly affair. So at the very least, I, I expect, you know, the trap game where maybe Oregon pulls through at the end, but I do expect that game to be close and ugly. All right, November 5th at Colorado. I put this in a should win. Should win. Yeah. Worst really, team in really the Pac-12, right? Colorado yeah. this year? Worst yeah. team? Yeah. Arizona, Arizona, Colorado, either one of those. Yeah. I don't um, think you can go wrong. The next, which by the way, I mean, Oregon, one of the guys I'm really looking forward to this year for Oregon is uh, defensive back Christian Gonzalez, mm-hmm. transfer from Colorado. And part of his, you know, arrival to Oregon is Oregon – you know, Dan Lanning hired away Colorado's secondary's coach to run the secondary in Eugene. He brought Christian Gonzalez with him. That's kind of how the transfer portal is working, Colorado's right? Colorado's had it tough with yeah. the transfer portal. They lost uh, Jerry Rice's son to USC. Um, they lost... I, I Brendan Rice, yeah. Brendan Rice, mm-hmm. yep. And then, uh, is their back still there? That, um, that running back. Jarek Broussard Jarek is at Broussard. Michigan State. Yeah, man. Because had a, Mel Tucker they, went there. and tough... this is, Broussard actually left last year, but... Yeah, they had some guy named Kenneth Walker III doing stuff there. And now Broussard will be the main back uh, in East Lansing, which will be interesting. Yeah. And then they lost their quarterback to Oregon State and Sam Neuer, right, mm. the year before that. And then I really thought Sam was going to be the dude. He goes one half of football and doesn't, it, doesn't yeah. see the field. I, I got I got Oregon State thoughts. They'll, they'll <laughs> be coming tomorrow, too. I'm not saying that that was a wrong decision. I'm just saying quarterback with the Beavers – is there more? I mean, there's no other, you know, more singular position that will dictate success for that team. Yeah, and it, it, it you can say that for any team, but I think for Oregon State in particular, either the QB is an alpha dude that can take you over the top, eight nine wins, or he's like Jimmy Garoppolo. And frankly, I think Chance Nolan is Jimmy Garoppolo. Like I can't, I can't unsee it. To me, similar offenses, it's similar dudes. Chance Nolan, Jimmy G. Can you can you win with that guy playing quarterback? Absolutely. But it would be really cool to have a playmaker <laughs> at that position. And too. if he's like Jimmy G, it's five six wins. And it's five six wins. And guess where their over unders at? Six five and a half. Five and a half. Well, five, yeah, depending on where you see it. Yeah. I mean, I saw it today at five and a half. Which, frankly, I mean, over. We'll get to the Beavers, but that's that's got to be an over. It's got to be. But they've got some games to win. Yeah. <laughs> that opener to me, it's uh, the Boise State game. They yeah. win that game, it's going over easy. If they lose it, it's going to be tough. I'm curious. The construction thing kind of is a bummer. Yes, it, it went perfect at home, home last field. year. Yeah, yeah, not a lot of home field this year. I'll be curious to see how much of a drop off it is 
with uh, the environment in Corvallis at Razor Stadium because of that construction thing. What are they losing? Probably 20,000 seats? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's down to 24,000, I think, and it's right around a 40,000 venue, so some something right around there. I don't want to call it a bummer. I mean, they're doing it for a reason, but it's right. a bummer I mean, for this season. For this season. We're talking about year five under your head coach, right? I mean, this is this is a chance where you can make a leap, as it were. Um, you know, obviously you're hoping that that leap's going to come in 2023 as well. <laughs> Maybe it's a harder beyond, place but... to play. Maybe it's a harder place to play with the construction. It's just yeah. like an ugly, you know, just place you don't want to be. I You're just, a road team. Yeah, I just don't. Yeah, that could be. I have a hard time banking on opponents coming in flat. It's like, oh, yeah, hey, opponents will come in flat because our environment sucks. <laughs> it's like, ah, I won't I won't count on that being the case. The stadium. But it could be a, you know, it could be one of those byproducts of, of the construction. Uh, for Oregon, so that Colorado game on the road, I say that's a should win. November 12th, that's the rivalry game with Washington, year one under Kalen DeBoer. I put that as a should win. Should win that game if you're Oregon. I agree. I think it was a should win. Yep, should win. Utah, November 19th, is a toss-up. Toss-up. Yeah, if not, a probably loss, right? At home, at home, yeah. I'll I'll say toss-up. I'm being too mean to my Ducks right now. That's a toss-up. You're you're starting to lean towards the under on the Ducks right now. There is not a home game that Oregon should lose, in my mind, Correct. on this year's schedule. Yeah, they haven't lost at home. They have one of the longest streaks right now going. But, Since uh, the Stanford game, right? The Mario yeah, Stanford oh, yeah, game? Oh, yeah, yeah, That's the last time they've lost at home. That was his... Uh, yeah. I think? Is that right? Yeah, because even that weird COVID year, they they never lost at home. They lost at Oregon State. They lost at Cal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like they might, right? Because it's it's not one game that it's like, oh, they're going to lose that. But there's a there's a series of games. Like, between BYU and Utah, you think they're going 2-0 there? I don't think so. I feel like they so. lose one of yeah. those, right? They, they lose one of those. Or maybe UCLA. They're going to go yep. 3-0 and against UCLA, Utah, and BYU? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Washington's probably <laughs> – Washington and Stanford, I feel the best about them winning, and probably UW. Well, you know it's going to be rocking oh, against yeah. Washington. That's going to be great. And then the fa- finale is at Oregon State. I put that as a, a toss-up. I put that as a win. Oh, man. Uh, it, that game's already slated for ABC. Yeah, that's. I'm saying that's that's a toss-up. That's is a, it really? That's a no, that can't be slated for ABC yet. It says it on the schedule. They already have that down. ES- oh, it's just on the ESPN network. So, like, it says ABC slash ESPN slash ESPN2 slash ESPNU. Oh, okay. So ESPN's Don't worry. got those rights It'll end already. up on ESPNU. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I think that's a that's another trap <laughs> game. That's another game I worry about it's, no matter how good Oregon It can't be a trap game. It's a rivalry game. How that's can- just... Yeah, yeah, trap game to okay, me is here's... a flat spot in the schedule. Like these guys are getting, obviously it's lost some luster. Ducks beefs. Plus it needs a damn name. But you know, I don't think that that could be a trap game per se. I mean, hey, you could still be competing for a top two seed in the conference and a trip to Vegas at that point. I think the Oregon Oregon State rivalry is pretty much always a trap game. Oregon could be seventeen point favorites, and I'll never feel good about it. They could be a national well, title that's, contender. That's different. Like, oh. I think that's. I yeah, think we're ta- where we have different this definitions of a trap game. Right. Semantics. To me, trap game is yeah, middle of the year going down to Berkeley. Yeah. You're favored by ten. You lose outright because we've seen that. But to me, Ducks Beefs can never really be a trap game because it's it's always got something to it. You know? it's, it's a toss up. Edge. This is another yeah. easy, like an easier toss up. Yeah, you're, you're right. It's like they beat UCLA at home and then they travel to Cal. That's the trap. There's game right the there. trap. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Oregon, 
over under eight and a half wins. The over is minus 155, under plus 125. I got the over easy, I think. I think the Ducks get at least nine pretty easy, probably should get ten. See, that's interesting to me because when I looked at, you know, everything going on here, I'm thinking eight and four. I'm thinking eight and four is a great year for them. And then I see eight and a half, and I'm like, man, where's that coming from? It's probably a little Bo Nix inflation, probably. Ju- juice to the over, too. You know, and juice to the over. So, I mean, I guess if I had to pay money, I would probably bet the it's a no play for me in the end. Because there's only one guaranteed loss probably in Georgia, right? Georgia's the guaranteed loss, but you know, I would say you're splitting BYU-Utah. So you'd have to go 9-2 and two the rest of the way. And then you're avoiding those those losses in spots that you shouldn't lose. Like I feel like, unless Dan Lanning is a is a super good head coach in year one, I feel like they're going to lose a game that they shouldn't. And I don't consider BYU or Utah one of those. I consider like Cal, right, Oregon State, Washington State. Like I feel like they're going to lose one of those games. The benefit they have is the O line is very experienced, right? They're bringing back just yep. about everybody, and defensively will will be interesting because they've they've got some dudes. And uh, they got Tosh. Tosh is a recruiter, but he's also a pretty good D-line coach, and we'll see what kind of scheme they run, too. So there's your Ducks schedule. We'll do the Beef schedule tomorrow and get an over-under on them as well. Coming up, we'll wrap it up here on the BFT Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Juna Newman for John Canzano on this fine Thursday. Wow, it's Thursday already. We'll run it back tomorrow, give you a good, healthy Friday show going into your weekend. Canzano will be back in the chair Monday in the lead-up to Pac-12 Media Day next Friday, and it should be a doozy uh, from L.A. We'll have a bunch of good content for you right here on the BFT Radio Network. Stephen Vaughn, Sean McPherson here as well. Top of the hour in Portland. You'll hear Peter Sampson bring you the pulse here on 750 The Game. What stood out to you guys uh, for the show today? Sean, start with you. Anything oh, that's now? Yeah, Jude, I honestly haven't been uh, thinking about football that much. Yeah. I, it was basketball, and then it, it, I, I'm really into the track world championship. So like this, this show really heightened my excitement uh, for college football. And to be honest with you, like, like a lot of people, my uh, I've had my frustrations with college football this off season, and I I need it to reel me back in. Like I need, and I know it will, right? right. You know, the first college game day show and week one, Oregon, Georgia. Like I'm gonna be back in, but right now I'm a little bit down on the sport, and I think I just need it to start, right? So I overall this show it it, it really just got me excited about NFL and college, but more more so college because NFL already super pumped. Steven. Yeah, I mean, same same thing is I'm just ready for the games to start. You know, I, I, I do enjoy the realignment stuff because it is very interesting, but I just want the games to start. I want to see the players on the field. And for me, it's you know, it's all about college football. I love college football. I love the NFL as well, but college football, that's, that's my jam. I love betting on it. So uh, I've been studying up lately, so uh, I'm getting ready to go. Well, we'll continue college football talk on tomorrow's show as well. You know, whenever I'm in, I'm in here and uh, I'm in the chair, you know, there's going to be plenty of football talk. That's for darn sure. All right, for Shawnee Mack and Stephen Vaughn, I'm Judah Newby. Peter Sampson, the Bulls, coming up at the top of the hour here on 750th Game. This has been the BFT on the BFT Radio Network. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.